0: Politics Podcast, the show for normal Americans. On this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed.
1: has just released her plan to fight the climate crisis. She aims to be carbon neutral by the year 2045. Five candidates have unveiled their plans within the past few days ahead of CNN's big town hall on this very topic tonight. So how do the plans stack up? Let's bring in CNN's chief climate correspondent, Bill Weir. Bill, great to see you. Very see exciting you. what's happening tonight. Yeah, it's big, of- it's big.
2: It's
3: big. Seven some, hours.
1: But just seven hours on the climate crisis. So just take us behind the scenes. Why did you all decide to do, why did CNN, I should say, decide to do one topic with this?
3: Well, it's because the, there was so much uh, cry out from those voters who will caucuses for Democrats or independents who put this topic at the very top of their concern list and uh, many were calling for a dedicated climate debate fall 10 on stage the dnc didn't go for that for whatever reason and so we thought why don't make it happen so we're doing back to back to back to back to back to back town halls just focused on this and look i'm biased i think we could do a town hall a day on this and it wouldn't be enough to cover it because it is everything it's all everything in our lives from energy to politics to geopolitics to psychology to history so you know
1: Sort of a cheat sheet of who has the most aggressive plan, who has the most interesting plan, who has the most radical plan, what should people watch for tonight? So you
3: should watch for, I mean really what you, the only way to gauge it these days is people don't really relate to you know, sort of changes, tweaks to the EPA laws or something. They talk about dollars, right? So, at the modest end of the scale, you got President Biden. His blueprint is about 1.6 trillion dollars. Former
1: VP, but you just promoted him. But go on. Well, what did I say? President. Biden. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> he appreciates that. <laughs> yes.
3: In an alternate universe, maybe he is. Uh, but yes, the former vice president, 1.6 trillion. Bernie Sanders says, "I will see you in raise." almost 17 trillion dollars. And he wants to basically, you know, Bernie's plan is by far the most ambitious, wants to basically de facto nationalize the power grid the way FDR did car makers in order to fight World War II. His platform, he wants to guarantee everybody $1,000 a month universal income. And he thinks that that then will cover uh, climate migrants as they relocate. There are some estimates that by the middle of the century, you know, hundreds of millions of people will have to move to higher ground. Is a thousand dollars a month going to cover that? You know, so so we're going to parse all of that.
1: I'll just put up the schedule for everybody. It looks like every candidate has about 40 minutes Mm -hmm. to do this. And so this will be is this are these just questions from viewers and voters or will they be able to kind of um spew their complicated spew is probably the wrong word <laughs> explain their complicated cl-
4: and welcome back to flavor politic podcast it's the 10th of September year of our lord 2019 new bumper coming in i love that song that is um slipknot i mean what is the name of it i i never know the name of their songs cuz i usually just all out of life and um I love that intro music, so I decided to change from a slipknot to a slipknot, but it just sometimes kind of sums up this podcast. Today we're going to have a um, long podcast, sorry, we're going to end on a 30-minute soundbite. Tomorrow is September 11th, and I put together a collage of everything on that day to include um, some interviews with my family as it affected us greatly, and being that it is the 18th anniversary, um, I think every once in a while we need to be reminded of what our co- country has gone through, it's not a political look, I'll make some political comments, because I always do, but um, yeah, there we go, we're going to do um, a bunch of guns, uh, climate, um, we are hitting on just a lot of stupid today, news and social media nuggets, and uh That'll kind of sum it up. But between guns and climate, our media has got their heads up their ass. But, you know, hey, tweets, there it is. That's the show. So Uh, not going to waste your time with me babbling incessantly other than go Packers. eh, We won and and Oregon rebounded. So we'll see where those football teams go. I had a football section, but I bumped it because of the September 11th. remembrance that we need to go through so uh let's go straight into guns this is some deplorable shit this is D.L. Hughley pretty much saying fuck you people who own guns and another ex-dem politician uh saying that people are getting mowed down by the thousands by automatic
2: weapons I'm starting to not be able to feel sympathy for Texas when they pass laws to make it easier for what happened in El Paso and Odessa to keep happening that that the the guy who he it was a criminal he shouldn't have had a gun and he and he didn't have a background check he bought it from a private owner and now Texas Texas is making the guns gun laws lack more lax mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I, I it's hard, to feel, hard to feel sorry for people that are complicit in what's happening and the PRG. people who vote for these people oh, putting them over right again. back in office yeah. to make these decisions no one should you don't need an AR fifteen and we 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 can't handle fed why we handle those weapons right. <laughs> we we got an opiate crisis because we overused stuff that was supposed to be for a good purpose, and we're doing this now to people. To there have been all these mass shootings before the year is out.
5: Mm-hmm. When is
2: enough? And why do states like that the, the, the act that, the belief that it's an independent notion, you want those guns for the ability to slaughter people at will?
6: When you get angry, when you're upset, right. when something bad happens that right. you don't like.
2: Right. And and the worst part about it is, um, their their whole mantra is, Well come get my guns from yeah, me we then. we should. Come get them, but, but they, we don't. We but then you don't want smoke of, you uh, to smoke them to have somebody with an AR fifteen. Say you, take you, it from you. me. I, I don't believe this. No, the Second Amendment never gave you the right to have those kinds of guns. Right. it never did, and it talked about a well regulated militia. Well, militia right now are the uh, people. I guarantee you that militia right now are connected with white supremacists. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous putting the death penalty on the table. I mean, people who are committing mass
7: shootings aren't saying, "Well, I might get the death penalty, and so I won't do it." No, they're getting uh, the. These automatic rifles, they are using high capacity um, uh, ammunition and they're killing, they're mowing down uh, hundreds, thousands of people every single year. And so Mitch McConnell just needs to do his job, put legislation on the floor of the Senate so that it can pass. And if he does that, then the president will really not have a choice but to sign it.
4: That's just some chewed up shit. But to show that there is hope in the world and that, you know, I don't think the media portrays what America really thinks about guns, because remember, all these polls are bullshit. Um, yeah, we're all for background checks, but we have that background checks. So he answered a weird way. Uh, they get blown out in the ratings during their propaganda town hall. Far-left cable news network CNN suffered a blowout ratings during the Propaganda Climate Change Town Hall and their gun town hall. They only averaged about 1.1 million viewers for both those events. So, good on you, America. Another blow to CNN, the leading name... In Democratic News, uh, it refutes their claim that the Odessa attacker bought weapon in a private sale. It's not true. I took the Wall Street Journal to slam them on that. But you you know the the thing about it that just kills me the most is that Jake Tapper literally was on the one that reported that. And I, you know I try to give Tapper a little bit of love, but. Dude, come the fuck on! Three more retailers a band open carry. That's Wegmans, Walgreens, and CVS. Um, so the the pressure by the if it's not the gay mafia, then it's the gun mafia trying to make people do whatever you know they want them to do uh, against their own business interest. And I just think it's kind of comedic. Um, you know, the media was going batshit crazy about Walmart. Selling less ammo, blah, 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 blah. You know, where I live, they don't sell fucking ARs. They don't sell a lot of ammo to begin with. Um, they have downsized that a lot because they're scared of what's going to happen. Sahil Kapur brings us our next article. Camelia Harris. If she favors mandatory buyback of assault weapons, she says she does. I think it's a good idea, Harris replied. We have to work out the details. There are a lot of details, but I do. We have to take those guns off the street. Stephen Gakowski. Somebody asked me to take a look at the details of Dianne Feinstein's assault weapon ban, which Harris supports, of 2019. And I have some bad news, folks. It would ban semi-automatic shotguns with grenade launchers. That's what it says. A semi-matic shotgun that has any of the following. A folding telescopic sight, a pistol grip, a fixed magazine with capacity of accept more than five rounds, the ability to accept a detachable magazine, a forward grip, and a grenade launcher. Who in the fuck owns a grenade launcher, folks? He joked, no mention of the chainsaw bayonet. Yeah. Next little tidbit. Um USA Today reported Camellia Harris' position here is more aggressive than Joe Biden Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren those threes are not called for mandatory gun buybacks, uh, buybacks but Beto O'Rourke and Solwell did and you will guarantee that they'll do it it's just, just a matter of time it, it, they're going to want those buybacks that's what all of these people are going for They're so extreme on guns right now. I I found this, and this was literally pushed up by the Wahoos, that, you know, gun-grabbing media. This is Shahia Patel. When you tell women and girls to learn self-defense or carry weapons against rapists, you're not reducing rape. You're just saying, let him rape someone more vulnerable. Stop calling for dystopia. Start working to end patriarchy. Make a world beyond rape. Patriarchy wants us to believe that rape has always existed and always will. The rape is intrinsic to masculinity. This myth serves patriarchy by transferring all consequences of rape, including shame and blame in victims. Patriarchy says unaccountable. Rape culture is how patriarchy sustains the hegemonic myth that rape is given an unchangeable condition of all human societies, so men never have to hold themselves or other men accountable. Rape is a woman's issue. Rape serves patriarchy by keeping all women scared, ashamed, scrambling for a non-existent safety, and availability to men. On the most unequal of terms. Patriarchy tells women their best hope of survival lies in being chosen by powerful men who'll protect them. Somebody tweeted, Yes, ladies, put your guns away and let the rapist have at it so that he, he won't seek to rape somebody else. Who the fuck says that? Where in our society is rape accepted? Name it. I don't know of anybody who thinks rape's a good idea. I, I just don't. But people like that, and our next contestant on You're a Fucking Moron, David Hogg. And I want you to listen to this, because this is this is election season. This is what it is. You know, I was trying to sleep last night, and we have the masked bandit out in the backyard. I don't know what the fuck that animal is, but the, the wolves, you know, the pack of wolves I have that are huskies. They're not down with whatever that is, and they decide to wake me up at just like the mis- most inopportunistic time. So today was crack day, and for those that don't have to go through pain management, as I've complained a million times on the show, I have to pee, all right? You have to pee every time. That's part of your pain management program. Well, these muffs woke me up at 3 o'clock, all right, which is just horrible. So, of course, I peed at Three o'clock. Well, the next thing you know, man, my appointment's not till seven thirty. I don't, I don't actually pee until eight, and I am doing the happy dance in the parking lot of this crack clinic. They probably think I'm just a fucking psycho, but then they saw me and remembered that I'm Mister Guy that always has to pee. So they took me in early, thank God, because I almost pissed my freaking pants. I mean, I just almost pissed my fucking pants. um, but now that I've digressed and gone on a tangent, no wonder the damn show's three hours long. Um, I couldn't sleep and I just thought about all the crazy. I'm sitting there in bed thinking about the crazy because they had gone off around 11 in the 11 at night barking. And, uh, I thought about all the intersectionality, you know, our last podcast, climate racism and Everything has to interchange for these people. They tie everything to everything. You know, it, it's just the most absurd thing. You know, we it used to be the craziest thing is if you you want people to have uh, a, a fucking ID to vote, you're a goddamn racist, and we thought that was crazy. But now everything, I mean, this guns, it's about the patriarchy. Uh, guns, it's about racism. Guns, it's always about something. It's like. Earthquakes are caused by climate change. I mean, the left just strings their shit together in a way it's insane. So David Hogg, the fucking darling of our media, well, that's his big rant. It's all about fucking white people and oppression and genocidal mass shootings.
8: We have a culture that is a very violent culture, America. Like, how do you, th- how do you and the movement think about that?
5: I, I think it comes down to reckoning with our history and our history of white supremacy in the United States and the fact that we live in a post-genocidal society, oftentimes that was orchestrated by the United States government And that if we want to talk about mass shootings, we have to recognize the massive number of indigenous mass shootings that were committed by the United States government. Um, I think back to the Battle of Wounded Knee, and the several hundred Native American, predominantly men, women, and children that were slaughtered by the United States um, government uh, back in the 19th century, and how that's never discussed as a mass shooting, right? And that's wrong, because those people were not armed, and we were stealing their land. Um, I think it comes down to reckoning with a tough history and realizing that it's okay um, If you recognize the actual history of the United States, it's okay to hate that injustice that much of this country has been founded on and much of the oppression that this country was founded on. That doesn't mean you hate America, because it means that you love your fellow Americans so much that you don't want to repeat the same mistakes we've made in the past. Why people feel that it is more American to pick, pick up a gun because you're afraid of what you don't know than it is to actually explore what you don't know and have the courage to actually address that. Because I would personally argue that peace is patriotic. Right? Loving your fellow Americans is And I think...
4: Yeah, yeah. It's all about fucking racism, man. That's why the majority of people shot in mass shootings are white. Okay. Then Salon, the gun lobby's most pernicious myth, there's no good guy with a gun. Everybody on the world just fuck. I even saw liberals. Oh, there's a lot of incidents that good guys do shit. Then you have KPIX-5 in San Francisco. This happened this week. San Francisco Board of Supervisors unanimously approves resolution to claim the National Rifle Association a domestic terrorist organization following recent mass shootings in Gilroy, Ohio and Texas. District 2 Superintendent Stephanie wrote the scathing declaration reading in part the NRA spreads propaganda and misinformation and aims to deceive the public about the dangers of gun violence. Shannon Watts, so proud of California. Are you fucking stoned? I'm asking, anybody out there, Anafa literally beating every demographic in America, lefties running people out for wearing red fucking hats, but the NRA is a terrorist organization. It's not the NRA who rolls out in accurate. I heard on the TV the other day there was 2,000 mass shootings or 290 mass shootings. Some insane number on CNN. And I was like, no! That's not true! It's just not true! But to say a group of 10 million Americans who just want to be able to have their constitutional right to own a gun we're terrorists now. We've gone from baby murderers to terrorists. San Francisco, a fucking city with piles of shit and used drug needles, that's your priority. Okay. Then this video came up, and that's why I put guns up front, because I just love this. It's... Basically, John Lot of the Crime Prevention Center uses clips of various TV shows show exactly how deep the bias is and how the and and that animus towards guns is red redolent within Hollywood. Lot begins Hollywood hates gun. Well, they like them and shoot them up movies, but as soon as it becomes a good civilian using a gun as self defense, they turn them into the evil person. I got it from John Stossel. And that will take us into what I said I was going to do. How many gun laws do we have? And why don't they fucking work? Enjoy.
9: Hollywood hates guns. Well, they like them in shoot-em-up movies. But as soon as it comes to a good civilian using a gun for self-defense, Hollywood turns anti-gun. She shot herself. Why the gun over? Hollywood constantly portrays people who hate guns.
5: I'm not a huge fan of weapons. Now, do you see why I don't like guns? You don't like guns, either. I'm
4: not a big fan of
5: guns. I
9: don't like them. Why'd I leave the FBI?
10: Guns, mainly. Really.
9: It's almost as if they're trying to condition people to hate guns. In Hollywood, even Navy SEALs warn against owning guns.
11: I need a gun to protect the kids when you're not around. You'd be dangerous to yourself and to
9: the kids. The wise law enforcement experts constantly urge people not to use them.
8: But in my experience, the problem with carrying a gun is that eventually it will go off.
9: But Hollywood gets this backwards. In real life, police strongly support civilians owning guns and carrying them for self-defense. A recent survey by the National Association of Chiefs of Police polled thousands of sheriffs and chiefs of police. 76% believe that qualified law-abiding armed citizens help law enforcement reduce violent criminal activity. Detroit's police chief urges people to carry guns.
2: So good Americans who are responsible with concealed
9: weapons can make a difference. He became chief and encouraged civilians to carry guns six years ago. Detroit's murder rate fell since then.
2: I'm excited
9: about our trend downward nationwide rank-and-file cops show even stronger support for private gun ownership than do police chiefs more than 90 percent supported civilians carrying guns no surprise hollywood's cops are wrong and real life cops are right police are informed by what they see on the street every day they know how important having a gun is to their own safety and they know that private citizens can help
2: We've seen our good Samaritans. We've seen them go to the aid to others because they were good Americans with uh, concealed weapons permits.
9: Many Hollywood crime show writers clearly know nothing about guns and crime. The myths they push on people are endless.
3: What else do we know about these
7: guns? Um,
11: This is the machine gun that Davis was firing at us, so-called cop killer.
9: Stop. Since 1934, there are only two known uses ever of a machine gun being used in a murder. Yet Hollywood shows criminals using machine guns to outgun cops all the time. Hollywood also finds endless ways to insult civilians who are using guns.
12: No good's going to come from you guys running around here with assault rifles. We are prisoners running the loose. We got a right to protect our neighborhood.
11: Yeah, that's a job for law enforcement, not a ragtag militia.
9: Hollywood plays to bigoted stereotypes depicting gun owners as dumb hicks. You got what? Got a Hey, Get off me! They do Officers, please. Hey, let him go. That's not who we're looking for. I kept telling him that. You sure
13: he looks guilty as hell to me? Please check his papers.
9: Let him go. In real life, citizen volunteers and neighborhood watch programs save lives. A 2008 U.S. Justice Department analysis found that crime fell 16 percent in areas that started a neighborhood watch program compared to those that did not. Some of Hollywood's bias is comical. In this show, a woman asks a federal agent if he's worried about not having his gun in a gun-free zone when he's facing professional killers. Bad
11: guys won't
9: have them either. Bad guys won't have them either? Seriously? Has a bad guy ever seen a no-guns-allowed sign and turned around? In the show, the killers obey the signs and leave their guns behind. But in real life, gun-free zones only encourage criminals. They serve as a magnet for criminals. Virtually all the mass public shootings in the United States since 1950 have occurred in places where general citizens are banned from having guns. The Virginia Beach shooting this year was another example of this. A woman who worked at the municipal office building talked with her husband the night before the attack about bringing her permanent concealed handgun to work for self-defense. But she decided not to because of a city rule against carrying guns. She and 11 others were killed the next day by a disgruntled co-worker. In another recent case, a doctor carried a gun anyway, despite his hospital's no-gun policy, and he stopped a mass public shooting. As the district attorney put it, if the doctor did not have a firearm, he'd be dead today, and I believe that other people in that facility would also be dead. That real-life situation would make a gripping TV story, but don't expect to see it. Hollywood bias is everywhere, and it endangers lives by misleading people on guns.
4: I mean, if you really break it down, the desensitization of America with guns, where does it come from, folks? It's always been. I mean, remember, we were told that the Matrix was one of the reasons Columbine happened. I mean, do we remember that, folks? It's almost comedic how Hollywood will take any cause from the left, and they shove it in, they just shove it the fuck in, any way they can, into a movie. I mean, look at the gay. Gladys made the the representation in movies is 30%, the movies and TV, 30% of everybody is gay, 10% are fucking tranny, yet the number is... 4.5 4.5 total to 5.7. That's what I used to use, but the latest is 4.5, 3.8 gay, 0.7 self-identification. But we just run with it, and we call the NRA bunch of fucking terrorists, white people racist, gun laws are racist, buyback programs, banning everything. Crazy liberals saying people are mowing people down with automatic weapons and motherfucking grenade launchers, which the last time I checked, I don't know anybody with a grenade launcher on their fucking shotgun. I mean, are they going to bash Joe Biden? Because you remember, that's what he said. All you need is a shotgun. Now you want to ban shotguns. So I did some digging. How many gun laws are there going off our last podcast? Study disputes 20,000, which I agree with. Why pass more gun laws when there are 20,000 of them on the books that should be enforced? Many gun owners use that argument effort to stop gun control groups from infringing on their Second Amendment rights. But gun control advocates are trying to undermine that 20,000 gun law argument with a new study that casts doubts on the meaning of 20,000 number. A study from the Brookings Institute, super-liberal, on urban and metropolitan policy counts, only 300 relevant federal and state gun laws regarding the manufacture, design, sale, purchase, and possession of guns. The keyword is relevant. Uh, the study does not include a tally of local gun laws. In fact, the authors know that since more than 40 states preempt all or most local gun control laws, there's no reason to include local law and gun law tally. It is irrelevant to count local laws that are superseded by state laws, the authors said in a press release. Oh, oh really? In that same press release, the Brookings Institution said the study disputes the $20,000 20,000, sorry, gun law claims based on the thorough examination of the number and type of state and federal gun laws. The number of laws per state range from 1 to 13. The press Release said, adding that most common laws concern mandatory minimum sentencing, dealer background checks shall issue laws for carrying concealed weapon, dealer licensing, and child protection. Meaningful is what they went with. In the future, rather than trying to count a number of gun control laws, we should try to better evaluate the effect of those laws at Vernick. Since the notion of the United States has more than 20,000 significant gun laws has been such an important point of reference in an ongoing debate over gun in America, we thought that it would be worthwhile to document the meaningful state and federal laws. According to Brookings Institute, the reference to 20,000 gun laws first appeared in congressional testimony in 1965. The number has taken hold of the public consciousness. However, in 1981, the author notes, Reagan rejected a call for additional gun legislation, saying, we already got 20,000 on the books. But! twenty 20- gun loss even if you go to your 300 300 gun loss the smart ass of me would say liberals don't even know what they are Right? you, you can't have grenades that's a SOT 4 license you can't have automatic weapons that's a SOT 3 license but you guys roll out and say it's all the time. And you go up to these weapons of war. Which what is that? No definition? No definition needed for the media. And within this, surprisingly it was Google. Of course, the first thing you're gonna get is it's all bullshit. Huppo. Thousands of Americans are gunned down each year, but few die by assault rifles with assault style rifles. In the article, but as momentum builds with new assault weapon ban, data shows just how small the effects such a legislation would have on overall levels of gun violence in the U.S. At least 84 people have been killed and 119 have been injured so far this year and 86 shooting incidents involving assault rifle, according to the data compiled by Gun Violence Archive, a not-for-profit not corporation that tracks gun violence. Those numbers, and this is dated article, include casualties from the Pulse nightclub. But in the world of supposedly we're killing people left and right, those deaths account for only 2% of the 6,153 gun deaths and less than 1% of the 12,560 gun injuries the gun violence or archives have counted so far this year. Their own people doing it. Within the article, Americans are 10 more times likely to be killed with a gun than people in other developed nations with an estimated 300 million to 400 million civilian firearms. About 20 to 30 millions of those guns are assault-style rifles, according to the National Shooting Sports Foundation. 30 million. You're going to buy them back. That's what they're saying. Further data, percentage of households in the United States owning one or more firearms. Different article. From 72 to 2018, estimates vary as to how many of the rifles are owned in the United States. The National Shooting Sports Foundation has estimated approximately 5 to 10 million AR-15 rifles exist in the U.S. 5 to 10 million. This is updated. This was HuffPo 2030. They lied. It's 5 to 10. But the same people, same time zone. 30 million firearms are owned by America. 30% of U.S. adults say they personally own a gun, while a larger percentage, 43, report living in a house with a gun. Republicans, 45%. Men, 43. Self-identified conservatives, 40, are most likely the key subgroups to say they personally own a gun. And this is the most damning information women 17% democrats 16 hispanics 15 and there is the fucking crust of it democrats just don't like guns thus our media do not like guns and they once again believe what they feel a spouse is the way the world should be. Very few incidents in the world do Republicans, conservatives, independents, tell people how to live their fucking lives. But this goes in line with all the crazy shit we put out on this show. From food, to weapons, to cars, to your thermostat, to your nuclear family, to how to raise your kids. They believe it takes a village but they're in charge of the fucking village and you need to shut your goddamn yapper. Secondly, the genie's out of the bag, you fucking dolts. Ten million fucking ARs. Even if the health pose right, thirty million, it makes my point better. How are you going to get all those back? And of those, not a single fucking one of them is automatic or shoots grenades. It's just not a fact. Most of our gun accidents. up your numbers so you can make the point there's so many so much gun violence and they're done with pistols nobody's ever done a study how many bullets are in America if we say the average person has 2000 rounds and there's 300 million guns let's take it down to 500 rounds 300 million guns Are you going to get those bullets back? Are you going to buy back the bullets, lefties? This gun shit is insane. They know it's insane, but it's about control. They want to tell you how to live your fucking life. If it's been a hundred times, it's been a thousand times. I have been told on social media, you don't need that gun By somebody who's never touched a gun. Doesn't know how to shoot a gun and fears a gun. They're the same people reporting kids were going shooting with their folks. To kicking them out of school because they made a goddamn pistol Pop-Tart. So, yeah. Folks, we got a shit ton of gun laws. And the biggest problem is in the cities with the most fucking gun violence, you have those billion other ones that go to the 20,000, and you're not enforcing them. You're not. Live PD has taught me one thing. Felons not supposed to have guns isn't a big thing in our legal system. Especially if they're an African American, because DAs are scared... Of the social justice warriors who will fucking attack them and say it's racist to put a guy in jail who was caught with a fucking stolen pistol. Ever since Obama made everything about race. Oh, they didn't go to jail because they robbed a liquor store, had a gun and they weren't supposed to because they're a felon. They got, they went to jail because they're black. That's how we look at it now. Yet if you enforced those guns, if you took those guns and destroyed them, where would we be? Baltimore, Chicago. Those two words, you say them, you're a racist. But look at all those gun laws. I didn't break it down to there because you can't find it, folks. It's hard to find this shit because Google doesn't want you to find it. They got bans on carrying guns in Chicago. Motherfucker getting killed all the time up there. So, there's your follow-up on guns. I wanted to follow up on that because it's, once again, you say it's a talking point. It's not. It's a reality. Lefties can go up and make all these goddamn laws that the fucking bad guys aren't going to fucking abide by and feel really good about yourself. But with 300 million guns in America, if people want to be crazy... They're going to be crazy. And don't even get me started on knives, rocks, or just damn fisticuffs. Somebody wants to kill somebody, they're going to do it. Let's go into climate, because as stated, CNN in our intro had a climate thing. and Oh, fuck me. It just won't stop, man. It, this door. If I heard Dorian one more time, I swear to God, I'm going to lose it.
14: We're seeing uh, firsthand the effects of climate change as a powerful Atlantic hurricane is sitting right now off the coast of Florida. It could make landfall tomorrow in South Carolina. More extreme weather events like Hurricane Dorian that's churning toward the Carolinas right now. Think
11: bigger fires in the West
14: or deadlier heat
11: waves, supercharged storms like the one we've seen now, Hurricane Dorian which is hovering off the coast of the Carolinas as I speak. When you look at the severe weather, uh, certainly we're seeing it with the hurricane now. The top Democratic presidential candidates are all with us tonight. On the heels of the deadly Hurricane Dorian, which is leaving neighborhoods underwater in the Bahamas, utter devastation, it now heads north along the United States coast. You know, the storm comes as we are facing a catastrophe of unprecedented proportions. You know, Hurricane Dorian is just one, right, one thing, right, one sign of that dangerous world that scientists say we are entering if humans do not cut carbon pollution
15: coastal cities island nations underwater we're coming to you of course tonight just as hurricane dorian the strongest storm anywhere on the planet this year has decimated parts of the bahamas and is threatening the east coast talking about super storms and mass extinction worsening drought just as hurricane dorian is threatening the east coast after devastating the bahamas
13: now right now hurricane dorian is hovering off the east coast of the united states we're seeing storms that are intensifying and that's just one sign of the dangerous world that scientists tell us we're entering if humans don't cut carbon pollution. Of course, the idea of bigger and bigger hurricanes more and more frequently, that's one of the things scientists are worried about and point to as an indication. Now on the East Coast, as you all know, we're dealing with Hurricane Dorian. And again, scientists tell us consistently that we are seeing more intense storms more frequently that are more complicated by the effects of climate change. And right now,
16: as you know, the Carolinas are bracing for Hurricane Dorian and its potentially life-threatening storm surge. You know, scientists have partly blamed human-induced climate change for the intensity of these storms that are hitting our coastal states. You know, scientists say that humans only have 11 more years to avoid the catastrophic consequences of this crisis: food shortages, rising sea levels, more extreme weather events like Hurricane Dorian, which is turning toward the Carolinas as we speak. I know
4: it sounds repetitive because we just covered it. It doesn't stop. They spent six hours blaming climate change on Hurricane Dorian. And here's just a fucking snippet.
14: We're seeing uh, firsthand the effects of climate change as a powerful Atlantic hurricane is sitting right now off the coast of Florida. It could make landfall tomorrow in South Carolina. More extreme weather events like Hurricane Dorian that's churning toward the Carolinas right now. Think. Bigger
11: fires in the West or deadlier heat waves, supercharged storms like the one we've seen now, Hurricane Dorian, which is hovering off the coast of the Carolinas as I speak. When you look at the severe weather, yeah. uh, certainly we're seeing it with the hurricane now. The top Democratic presidential candidates are all with us tonight on the heels of the deadly Hurricane Dorian, which is leaving neighborhoods underwater in the Bahamas utter devastation. It now heads north along the United States coast. You know, the storm comes as we are facing a catastrophe of unprecedented proportions. You know, Hurricane Dorian is just one, right? One thing, right? One sign of that dangerous world that scientists say we are entering if humans do not cut carbon
15: pollution. Flooded coastal cities, island nations underwater. We're coming to you, of course, tonight, just as Hurricane Dorian, the strongest storm anywhere on the planet this year has decimated parts of the Bahamas and is threatening the East Coast. Talking about super storms and mass extinction, worsening drought, just as Hurricane Dorian is threatening the East Coast after devastating the Bahamas. Now, right now,
13: Hurricane Dorian is hovering off the East Coast of the United States. We're seeing storms that are intensifying, and that's just one sign of the dangerous world that scientists tell us we're entering if humans don't cut carbon pollution. Of course, the idea of bigger and bigger hurricanes more and more frequently, that's one of the things scientists are worried about and point to as an indication. Now on the East Coast, as you all know, we're dealing with Hurricane Dorian. And again, scientists tell us consistently that we are seeing more intense storms more frequently that are more complicated by the effects of climate
16: change. And right now, as you know, the Carolinas are bracing for Hurricane Dorian and its potentially life-threatening storm surge. You know, scientists have partly blamed human-induced climate change for the intensity of these storms that are hitting our coastal states. You know, scientists say that humans only have 11 more years to avoid the catastrophic consequences of this crisis. Food shortages, rising sea levels, more extreme weather events like Hurricane Dorian,
15: which is turning toward the Carolinas. Your climate plan calls for zero net zero emissions by the year 2050. Um, there's a lot of policymakers out there who say, look, it's got to be done faster. They're talking 10, 12 years. Your climate change plan uh, talks about spending $1.7 trillion. There's other candidates out there who are talking about spending $16 trillion. Is your plan aggressive enough? I guess that's the question people Yes,
13: have. I think it is aggressive enough, and it's gotten good reviews from most of the environmental community. It's been rated very highly, and uh, I think that, uh, that it is aggressive enough.
17: Human population growth has more than doubled in the past 50 years. The planet cannot sustain this growth. I realize this is a poisonous topic for politicians, but it's crucial to face. Empowering women and educating everyone on the need to curb population growth seems a reasonable campaign to enact. Would you be courageous enough to discuss this issue and make it a key feature of a plan to address climate catastrophe?
12: Well, the answer is yes.
13: You have the anxiety of the worker, um, but as uh, David was asking earlier, there is something about the anxiety of the consumer and the citizen. One of the things that we keep being told by science is you know, this cattle issue is a real situation. And as he was pointing out, it really is about supply and demand. If you don't want the beef, they don't raise the cattle the same way. But that's a big ask in American culture. So what do you say? To the Americans that you want to persuade who maybe aren't that left, maybe they're in the center or center right and they're saying, you want me to eat less beef? Welcome back to this
14: unprecedented night on CNN. Ten Democratic presidential candidates, one urgent issue, the climate crisis. Scientists tell us we are seeing the consequences of the climate crisis now, but that will cross a massive tipping point if the world warms more than 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. We've already warmed up the planet one degree Celsius since the Industrial Revolution, so we're more than halfway there. We have 11 years to avoid the catastrophic consequences of this crisis. Food shortages, rising sea levels, more extreme weather events like Hurricane Dorian that's churning toward the Carolinas right now. And for the latest on Dorian, I want to go to the CNN Hurricane Center and bring in Jennifer Gray. Jennifer?
11: Wolf, Dorian has actually strengthened just a little bit with this latest advisory at 5 o'clock. Now 110 mile per hour winds just shy of a Category 3 actually with this center just offshore. You can see Jacksonville to its west gust of 130 moving to the north-northwest at about 8 miles per hour. That's a little bit slower than it was before. It's expected to continue this forward speed though. It is expected to impact mainly South Carolina and North Carolina as we go forward in time. Charles, for example, your conditions will continue to deteriorate as we go throughout the evening. Peak winds expected by late morning tomorrow, and then the storm moves on, skirting the outer banks in North
7: Carolina. Wolf.
14: All right, Jennifer, thank you. Good evening and welcome to the CNN Democratic Presidential Town Hall on the climate crisis. I want to welcome our viewers here in the United States and around the world. I'm Wolf Blitzer. Tonight, the top ten Democratic presidential candidates will be here on this stage in New York City, appearing one by one for the next seven hours. This unprecedented town hall is dedicated to the climate crisis, an issue many voters say needs aggressive action. And scientists say that action needs to happen now. We're seeing firsthand the effects of climate change as a powerful Atlantic hurricane is sitting right now off the coast of Florida. It could make landfall tomorrow in South Carolina tonight. Democratic and independent voters will be asking the questions live here in our audience and also by video. And CNN's chief climate correspondent, Bill Weir, will join in the questioning as well. My colleagues and I will help guide the conversation. Later tonight, former Vice President Joe Biden, Senators Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren, they will all be here. So when we had our last one, I didn't get to hear, you know, this
4: craziness. Now, going with our theme, the left ties everything together. Listen to Bernie
15: Sanders.
7: I would like to tell you a story. A story about a people constantly discussed by the world's elite, but whose voices are so rarely heard. This is is a story about how the people of Africa are being ideologically colonized in the 21st century.
8: I'm pleased to announce that the government of Canada will be investing $650 million in sexual and reproductive health programs for women over a period of three years. So
11: what
7: I'd like to announce today is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation will be increasing our family uh, planning investment by a new $560 million commitment between now and 2020. So I pledge tonight an additional 15 million euros.
8: The UK government has always, at least a past 20 years or so pushed funding for so-called reproductive health, for population reduction measures and for family planning.
7: The UK in the last five years has spent 163 million on um, reproductive health care in the developing world. I'm and I'm shocked while i I'm just wondering why somebody would be so concerned with um, the affairs of another nation. Especially when it comes to issues of abortion. Shortly, I found myself in an operational table. About 20 minutes we the We have seen women cry and weep and wail and groan. Surely, is that development? My family was affected too.
18: That is not fair
7: In all this talk about contraception, the one thing that I have never heard of is something like the side effects of contraception. No one ever tells the African women. I think they should really know that they are hurting us. They are destroying Africa. They are destroying us.
4: Seriously. So let's kill more people. Democratic voter. There are too many humans on earth. Really. Too many humans on earth what is wrong with them why do they believe they have to fucking regulate everything about what everybody's doing i just don't understand it i mean i actually have another soundbite of the same thing off the view that you don't need children you got too many children stop having children why do you have children so here's my question for liberals If we abort everybody, can you stop freaking the fuck out about 12 years? Because I got to say, if we kill everybody, can I still eat hamburger? I mean, because there won't be as many people anymore. I mean, that is the type of shit you get on CNN. Just their peeps. There's nothing else. I got somewhere in the podcast. they're going to do a gay one too, LGBT. But, hey, there'll be none of that fucking you have a question like, well, why do you make three-year-old kids fucking change? Why is it imperative that we pump people with the opposite hormones than their body needs at early ages? Can you explain that to me? No, we're not going to have that question. The little literal write-up for it, Makes it sound like the fucking gay people are all getting Matthew Shepard. That's how bad it is. It's just horrible. Fucking wahoos. So let's move on to general shit, some anti-Semitism, and some serious media
16: malpractice. Okay, so let me just, because I'm going to put, if you can put those back up, just so you know. So under Obama, as you said, March 2010, 16.8%, the end of his presidency, 7.9%. That is a difference of 8.9%, okay? So Trump's highest was 8%. That was in February of 2017. Now it's at 5.5%. That is down 2.5%. So we have 8.9% in the Obama presidency and down by 2.5%. In this presidency, as you said, it is good news. It is a good trend, but it didn't start under this president. And the numbers actually declined um, much stronger under the former uh, president. How do how do black voters in 2020 weigh these low employment numbers against the president's racist behavior? Joseph, Charlottesville, slamming Baltimore, rodent infested and, you know, go on and on. Look, I I think there's we have the numbers and then we have the message right the numbers to your point are encouraging i think that again we i think you know no one gives yeah, more of that yeah, keep going yeah right? yeah so we need more of that but i think the message uh, is something that does not resonate with black communities and brown communities simply because of the rhetoric that has come out of the white house and so i think i said almost two years ago to the day on this program that if someone spits in your face and then hands you a napkin you don't get to say thank you um can that, can, we, can we can we talk about this because I often hear that not only on this show, not only from, but also in um, my personal life. Well, I don't understand. It's, a, it's a like unemployment is down and, you know, people are doing better. But as you say, if someone spits in your face and hands you a napkin, how, what is that supposed I don't understand that argument. Does that mean that the only part of your brain or the only part of our being that matters is money? Yeah. Rather than the, how someone treats you and what someone says about you? There we go again. Telling people
4: how to live. He basically says, a black voter says, hey, economy's good. You, you're a piece of shit. Deborah Messing. John Cooper, Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama is capturing national attention for putting up a sign that reads on one side a black vote for Trump is mental illness. The other side of the sign displays another message. A white vote for Trump is racism. It's It's election time. And as we do these little digs that, you know, as a black person, you can't vote for a Republican shit. Major media spike new low in unemployment for African Americans. 5.5%. It's lower than
18: 5.9. Hey,
4: it, it's what we got. This is our media. They, they're they not going to actually report facts. I mean, facts don't sell. Emotions sell. Hollywood can't stop othering Red State USA. One of the less favorite phrase jumps to mind regarding Hollywood's take on conservatives. The term othering means treating people as somehow different and inferior to you or the group you belong to. Here's a quick example. When then-candidate Trump used the word the before Latinos and African-Americans joined 16 campaign, the left said they were othering. The evidence is often that shoddy. Here's a liberal guardian columnist explaining the tactic. Other is not about liking or disliking someone. It's based on the conscious or unconscious assumption that a certain identified group poses a threat to be favored group. It is largely driven by politicians and media as opposed to personal contact. Overwhelming, people don't know those they are that they are othering. Now, two plus years in the age of Trump, it's clear Hollywood is attempting to other anyone tied to Trump. That means Fox News, conservative voters, members of the administration, and those cutting checks for Trump's 2020 election. And they list all the things lately that those people are others. Everything is other. Those people are others. They list the the, uh, SNL stuff where they had Trump voters as a piece of shit. And we're in it. We're in that phase where anybody who doesn't think like them is othered, even though othering is wrong. We are fucking almost three years into a presidency. New York Times writer, insomnia has plagued me since the cursed night. Toward the end of his new book, Rest in Peace, GOP, Rest in Peace, GOP, the renowned Democratic pollster Stanley Greenberg made a thrilling prediction delivering the certainty of prophecy. The year 2020 will produce a second blue wave on at least the scale of the first 2018 and finally will crash and shatter the Republican Party that was consumed by the ill-begotten battle to stop the new America from governing, he writes. It sounds almost messianic. The Republican Party, the foul agglomeration of bigotry and avarse that has turned American politics and dystopian farce. Goldberg confessed the party has been prematurely buried before. This is not the first time that experts have predicted it. That's all we've ever heard is that. And then later on, he admits that he still has insomnia. It's plagued me since the cursed night that Trump was elected. That's a column. That's a fucking column. This is what they did this week while a Democratic voter, and Camelia Harris had this conversation.
3: What happened to people of color? Mm-hmm. So I don't buy that argument that impeachment does not make sense, Senate will acquit. I don't buy that argument. Mm-hmm. There needs to be accountability. Yes. And what are you going to do in the next one year yeah. to diminish the mentally retarded action of this guy? Well said.
17: <laughs> well said. Um, well I I plan to win this election,
4: I'll tell you that. Retarded. It's okay to say retarded when you're talking about a Republican. Nobody has a problem with that. Our media is so fucking jacked. Here's a guy, literally, John Hudson. I did a double take when Pompeo, Kansas radio host, welcomed him to Manhattan, but I'm told by native Kansas harness that it's a real thing, and it's known regionally as the little apple. Are you fucking shitting me? You don't know there's a Manhattan, Kansas? Maybe you should get out of the bubble. It goes in line perfectly with this. Busted. CNN and WAPO peddled deceitful hate crime stat, smearing Trump. It was an anti-Trump statistic blubbed by the liberal media, according to a study published by CNN, The Washington Post, and many others. President Trump's 2016 campaign rallies caused 226% spike in hate crimes. And that's what they ran with post-election. Of course, the liberal media would run with that statistic. It fit their narrative perfectly. Racist Trump, blah, blah, blah. But a pair of Harvard University Ph.D. students, Matthew Libby and Brian Wheaton, along with Reason Associates editor Robbie Soov, recently debunked the original study's finding. According to Lillian Wheaton, using the method of original study, they were able to closely replicate the finding, but they took it a step further and applied the method to the places where failed Democratic candidate Clinton held her her rallies. What did they find? Using additional data, we collected... Sorry, I lost my place there. Uh, method of original said they were able to collect, okay. using additional data collected. We also analyzed the effect of Hillary Clinton campaign rallies using identical statistical framework. The ostensibly finding Clinton rallies contribute to an even greater increase in hate incidents than Trump rallies. They wrote through their work. The Harvard students found two flaws in the original methodology. That rallies are held in populated areas is not sensible to blame rallies for hate crimes. Here are the comments on the on it, and it basically came out. That she had more violence during her visits than Trump. And they basically were just cooking the books like everything else. But is anybody surprised the media ran with that? Next story, once again. No pro-lifers needed. apply. Vice says pro-life nurses not worthy of serving in public. That's what they're saying now. And oh, by the way, number M- MS-13 guy killed somebody. But our media is, no, no, there's hate violence because of Trump and we need to fix climate because climate's racist. And Yeah. Take all your guns. Every time you peel the onion on what the left is pushing with their media handlers, you find... They're huge fucking liars. Two are hate tweets.
7: HATE TWEET OF THE DAY!
13: Now, the government's National Hurricane Center, which issues that map, never said Alabama was threatened. Oddly enough, knowingly misrepresenting a government weather forecast is a crime, and it's punishable by up to 90 days in prison.
12: Whoever knowingly issues or publishes any counterfeit weather forecast or warning of weather conditions falsely representing such forecast or warning to have been issued or published by the Weather Bureau, United States Signal Service, or other branch of the government service.
1: Um, There's also U.S. statute on false weather reports. Yeah. Is that worth noting, given the fact that I think the president might have given out a false weather report?
12: By the way, it's against the law to knowingly issue or publish a false weather forecast. Shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 90 days or both.
8: Here's how I would frame it. This Alabama story was about the president failing a basic geography test. At the time he warned Alabama that Alabama might get hit. At the time of that tweet, this is the forecast his own government released. At 11 a.m., This is the most up-to-date forecast at the time of Trump's tweet. And look at this track. It turned out to be spot on with Hurricane Dorian right up the coast, just as forecast. Fantastic work by government forecasters at the National Weather Service. Anyone who can read a map knows what this shows. No one looked at this and thought that Alabama was going to be at risk. Now, I don't want to suggest that Trump is incapable of reading a map. But isn't that the obvious question here? Did he see these maps? Did he understand what they showed? When you think about it that way, the media actually lets Trump off pretty easy. Most of the coverage is not showing this spasm of tweets through the frame of his instability, questioning his critical thinking skills. Most of the coverage is not conveying just how appalled scientists and forecasters are. Most of the coverage is not asking, as Al Roker did, where will this end? Most of the coverage is not asking, who the heck misinformed the president? Now, how will this end? Hopefully not like the end of 1984. The party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. It was their essential, final command. Now, in real life, we are not going to ignore what our eyes and ears are telling us. Trump wants us to follow his Sharpie. He wants us to think he's doubling down. That's why reporters have to think so carefully about the words we use and the frames we choose. Because by the time the damage is fully known and quantified by like a week-long embarrassment like this, most people have moved on to the next storm. In this case, Afghan peace talks. But Trump proves every day that his words can't be believed. So how are we supposed to evaluate his claims about, say, negotiating with the Taliban when his comments about a hurricane emergency imply that he couldn't read a map?
4: That is CNN and MSDNC inundated viewers with 145 minutes of Sharpiegate. This is what our media focused on this week. That Trump lied about a assessment that Alabama could be affected by Dorian. Once NOAA literally showed that that was an original assess- assessment, they got fucking attacked also for dare defending the president because it was true. It was an original assessment one of them, that the storm could go west and go all the way across the Gulf Coast. That was actually an assessment. Rich Lowry will do it more justice than I will because I just can't believe we literally had our media focused on showing Trump's a jackass.
8: And Chris Christie, I think it's entirely possible that that first briefing the president had, whatever it was, 10 days ago now, said, and it might hit... Uh, Alabama. There's no question that when he tweeted last Sunday, Alabama's going to get hit harder than anticipated. That is flatly just not true. What I don't understand is sticking with it for seven days after that. What is that about?
16: Well, listen, I think that, the, that this president has shown over and over again that he believes that admitting mistakes is admitting weakness. And, and I don't think it's hard to understand him. You know, people seem mystified by this. And, and I'm mystified by them. Uh, This is who the president of the United States is. I've known him for why 18 years. But
8: want this to be part of the dialogue Wait, for seven This is
16: because, because it drives you guys crazy. But I think... And, they, and the media focuses on this. Instead of focusing on what Rahm was just talking about or other issues, or, I mean, we've, we're talking about this before we're talking about Afghanistan and negotiations with the Taliban. Oh, we're with Afghanistan. We'll talk about that, But too. my point is, though, that this is what lots of folks in the media talk about, and it's a distraction, and I don't think the president necessarily thinks that distraction is bad for him.
11: But we talk about it because he's talking about it. I mean, he was just relentless. Exactly. His justification of this, and it wasn't just that he you know, wouldn't let this go. He's also deploying government resources to help in his argument. And when you're facing you know, a hurricane of significant consequence, you have to think about you know, how much time and effort was spent defending the president's argument here versus focusing on but, but some other key
5: issues. But he's talking about it because you're talking about it. It's like this circle that never ends. And... And he never allows himself, as Chris points out, the escape route. Oh, it's old information. You know, I, I revise and extend my remarks. But that the media was an analyzing this with the detail of the Zapruder, Zapruder tape was completely absurd. And, and it was totally lost that the major story was actually a, a Category 5 hurricane that devastated the Bahamas and was threatening. They were also in on this. Washington
4: Post, Trump warned Alabama about Dorian. So we sent one to cover the hurricane. The city stands. The grocery stores are fully stocked. The Home Depot has no lack of generator, tarp, supply wind. As business as usual as Wobble House, boaters on the mobile River have been urged to caution only because a group of manatees were spotted. The highway south runs past unsunk boats and unbroken mass all the way to the mouth of the Gulf of Mexico, where resort town general stores report no panic run of supply. Not now and not a week ago, when Trump first claimed Alabama would be slammed by Hurricane Dorian. Somebody said, S- shout out to a guy who actually got to go to Orange Beast. But that's our media. With all the things you can dunk on Trump, this is what you've spent all this time on articles and clickbait. You're fucking children. I used to have sound bites for you, you motherfuckers. I just don't understand. There were plenty of times Obama misspoke overestimated things said this was going to happen and it didn't like you can keep your doctor if you like him, but we didn't send reporters out Jesus fucking Christ David Suzuki brings us to our next subject the 18 to 8 campaign is asking Canada to lower the voting age to make sure that climate change is on top of the ballot coming to Portland, Seattle, L.A. Elizabeth Warren, on my first day as president, I'll sign an executive order that puts a total moratorium on fossil fuels again and puts everybody out of work. Yeah, Camelia Harris, a society is judged based on how it treats its children. This administration will be judged harshly. Not life News, which is almost the tweet of the day, you support killing children. Shut up. Yeah. Come on, people... If you're going to say shit like that, you can't be for abortion to college. Both Biden and Bernie, this comes from Benny, have lower favorability ratings than Trump in the new YouGov poll. Biden, 42 unfave, 51 fave. Bernie, 42 unfave, 50 fave. Trump, 46 unfave, 52 fave. More people favor Trump than they do Biden and Bernie. But that'll never make your media. And that's a liberal site. YouGov, I take them. It's liberal. Not going to re-enter this, because remember, these are just tweets. For those that are new, hate tweets or tweets of the day. Quick hits on little things from all over the web. Don't spend a lot of time on them. We're jammed today for time, because we have our September 11th section. Seinfeld star rips Will and Grace for Trump bashing You might know him as Jay Peterman, the stoic adventurer on Seinfeld who roamed the world in search of unique clothing and uttering lines like, I was traveling to the Yanzi in search of Mongolian horsehair vows. Others will recognize John O'Hurley as a dynamic narrator of the National Dog Show. And he just said he felt sorry for them. Good for him. New York Times. One woman who was searching for an apartment in New York City was asked to pay a $100 application fee, followed by a 400 processing fee, even though such upfront fees have been capped at 20 as a result of a new law r- passed in New York. Alexander Akeo Cortez. Rent has gotten to extortion level high in New York City, and there's a whole lot of law breaking that happens because so many working people are on the brink. Housing is a right. New York rent laws must be enforced And abusive predatory actors are breaking them. Somebody says, housing's not a right. Why is everything a right? And all sense of responsibility thrown off the... It's not a right for you to have a home. Jesus Christ, but it goes back to my rant just a fucking 30 minutes ago. Another liberal law not being enforced. What do you want to do about it, AOC? How about enforce the fucking law? You guys make laws for everything, but you don't enforce them. CNN benches Latino contributor because he supported Trump, pushed back on network's racist narrative. CNN has reportedly benched one of the Latino contributors because he supported Trump he pushed back on the far-left network's attempt to paint the president as being racist ahead of the 2020 election. Steve Cortez, a prominent conservative and Trump campaign surrogate, has not been put on the air by the network in over six weeks because he is a Trumper. If that was Fox News, would it not be held as racism by the esteemed Brian Seltzer. Anybody? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. This one's one of my favorite. It was also the tweet of the day, almost. Top progressive site thought Trump election would spark comeback. Now it's closing up shop. I mean, continued internal turmoil, plummeting ad revenues, and despite the election of Donald Trump, which the outlet hoped would spark its big comeback, Think Progress, an independent project of the Democratic Party's Center for American Progress, shut its door Friday. In a report published Friday, the Daily Beast announced the not ex- unexpected news that after reaching out to over a dozen news publishers to try to stave off the site's demise, Center for American Progress Action Fund Executive Director Naven Nayak was forced to tell the already depleted staff at Think Progress that the project was officially defunct. Now, I want you to remember this is a Clinton thing. Janitor, Jennifer Palmari was on it. And when the National Review folded, what did the media do? They went batshit crazy. They were jilling off under the desk on the Brooke Baldwin show. But this didn't even make a ripple. Hmm. Mano blog. If the Washington Post is right that Ukraine is not getting its military aid unless they do something to try to hurt Joe Biden's presidency campaign, if that's really what's going on here, I'm honestly going to walk out of this movie. Somebody said, once again, you're just running with it. They can't give it up. My intro soundbite was supposed to be Chuck Todd, but it was a corrupt file. And he literally said, he equated, disparaging the media is just like the Russia attack on our democracy. That's what he said. He said, Brian Seltzer, Jim Acosta, hold my chai latte. I'm taking this shit next level. To our tweets of the day, the only place in the world with Popeye chicken sandwiches, Louisiana's government mansion. The Little League World Series went in there, and they all got the crazy sandwich that everybody lost their fucking mind over. And I thought that was pretty cool. Surprisingly, no media made a big deal about, oh, they won this and all they get is that stupid fucking sandwich. Dan Crenshaw is our tweet of the day. No music breaks today, folks. We're going straight into news and social media nuggets. It's a scathing rebuke to all of the liberals and our media members trying to get rid of the Electoral College. Enjoy.
19: The New York Times' Jamel Bowie and MSNBC's Chris Hayes think that Republicans don't understand democracy, but Democrats do. Why? Why? Because they want to abolish the Electoral College, and they think that makes them better people. Yeah. Okay. Let's break that down. So this whole debate actually gets to a really key difference between Democrats and Republicans, and that is actually literally in the words Democrat and Republican. What do I mean by that? I mean that Republicans defend the institutions of the Republic, and Democrats desire a more pure form of democracy. Why is that? Okay, what do Republicans want a republic? Well, a republic is more stable. It's also more representative of the entirety of the country. That's why we like it. It's also why our founding fathers liked it. It has institutionalized checks and balances between the three branches of government and an emphasis on states' rights. So it's really difficult to ram through sweeping policy that affects the entirety of the country. And because we have an equally apportioned Senate and, and an electoral college, it means smaller states have a voice. Smaller, more rural states actually have a voice, both in the Congress and when electing our president. We think that's pretty important. Democrats, well, they want something different. Again, they're pushing for a more pure form of democracy. So what does that mean? Well, they tend to want more, more control in Washington, whether that's in the bureaucratic state or the presidency, either way, under the executive branch and they want to abolish the electoral college. So what does this mean? It effectively means that 51% of the population could tell the other 49% of the population what to do, even if that 51% is concentrated in the most populated states. Remember, progressives want to, to create progress, their form of progress, and they want to do it as fast as possible. Well, checks and balances get in the way of that. States' rights and local control get in the way of that. Local municipalities trying to implement their own policies get in the way of that centralized control of the whole country for their progressive ends. The problem with you know a simple majority deciding how we live our lives in this country is that it effectively means tyranny of the majority, a narrow majority deciding the fate of the rest of the country. And that means a society that is divided, angry, and pretty resentful.
2: Were you trying to get crazy with this, see? Eh? Don't you know I'm loco?
0: Now it's time for news and social media nuggets, the crazy stuff that makes your host
17: lose his mind.
13: Settle down. Don't make me call the cops. He is the cops, dude. I got an idea.
16: If my brother bowls three strikes in a row, he buys a round of drinks. If he can't, believe.
5: He's really good. We forgot to tell you.
12: If you were going off to war, I would do the patriotic thing. Buy you a drink, invite you back to my place.
6: I don't know how we ever broke up. You're just so charming.
5: I got a business plan for a fleet of food trucks. What you know about running a business? A I actually read books. You read, like, magazines, like guns and ammo. Kill
2: Go, in. go in. Tell me.
3: A slam bandial is yeah. head to Europe.
2: I'll, I'll
10: find him.
3: Look at me.
13: Look at me! I don't think you deserve this sentence.
5: You mean I don't deserve 25 years for defending myself?
13: I'm sorry, Cal. Our hands are tied.
2: You know we all think his sentence is unfair. I'm sorry. I didn't know how to be your dad. I
19: didn't need you to be my dad. I just needed you to be my brother. I'm gonna break him out. Cal, what are you talking about, man?
16: I don't need anything from you guys. I wanted to let you know.
3: Talk to him, I listen to you We're worried about you I can pull it off
0: Bring him back to me
3: Now this isn't how we do things This is how we do things He's out What are you talking about? Listen, He's out for We're
16: gonna fun. make this work, the plan stays the same
18: What is going on? This is insane
3: It's not working, man
18: You're going to get caught
20: No, 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 no. Yeah.
3: Ready to R
4: Military corner I just played uh, Devil Dogs new movie about the Marines it's supposed to be funny I don't know there's a little snippets so you can hear it. US Romanian service US and Romanian service member killed in Kabul a U.S. service member was killed in action in Kabul, Afghanistan, according to NATO-led Resolute Support mission. Another service member from Radio was killed, according to a statements coalition. Both were killed Thursday, per, per Department of Defense. The name of the U.S. service member has not been given. It looks like it was a car bombing, and then it came out. Paratrooper killed by IED vehicle-borne. Soldier killed Thursday in Afghanistan is identified by Pentagon as Sergeant First Class Elias A. Barreto-Ortiz, 34, was killed by a VBID, detonated near his vehicle in Kabul. Barreto is the third U.S. soldier died in Afghanistan in a little more than a week. A Romanian service member was also killed. He came from uh, 82nd Airborne Division's 3rd Brigade. God be with his family. <clears throat> I hate to go from that to an almost comedic article, but... That's how Military Corner works. Intoxicated Marine breaks in a home and cooks meal, tells alarmed homeowners to go back to sleep. Jesus, J. Jehoshaphat, this is some crazy shit. Not every day does a champion Emerge to match the exploits of an infamous Florida man, but on Tuesday, Florida Marine volunteer as tribute, 19-year-old Marine Gavin Krim reportedly broke into a Duden, in Florida home just after 4 a.m. Tuesday and immediately set out in a hurried exercising his perceived right to satisfy hunger pains at any cost. Krim eventually was confronted by the weary homeowner, who was unsurprisingly alarmed to discover a stranger going full full blown more. Gordon Ramsay in his kitchen but the considerate marine understanding the importance of 8 hours of rest told the owner go back to sleep the homeowner did not comply with the inebriated REM sleep enthusiast responding instead by threatening to call the police prompting Krim to make a break for his life police discovered the hungry Krim whose name happened to be 50% criminal unsuccessfully hiding in the woods what a fucking dumbass (laughs) but it's funny Marine commanding officers caught driving drunk received reprimands. Only one of them got relieved, which brings me to my, I fucking hate that officers, rangers, and regular units all get over. They just get over when they get caught for DUIs. I I just, it's inconceivable. SEAL Team 7 leader fired after unit war zone misbehavior. Yep, Commander Edward Mason just got the boot. So six got fired, now seven. The SEAL's got some issues. Disturbingly, the Army is investigating how a 19-year-old diagnosed with autism was actually recruited. How? How did he get in the military? That's insane. Task and purpose put out... No, this is actually Army, um, military.com. 15 terrible military stock photos... We can't stop laughing at. Some of these are just horrible. A dude a death grip on a freaking uh, flag. A dude with a full beard in a wheelchair. Another guy in a wheelchair with his shirt all fucked up with a stupid smile. A dude saluting out a window. Uh, one had the wrong camo. It's like Russian camo. An old dude with an OK symbol. One year EMBA. Hob has it. This dude's a lieutenant colonel with a goatee. Yeah. A girl resting her hand, and she's in ACUs with a hat that says Army. Yeah. Some of the, even one's a USA photo, family in the background, dude's collars jacked the fuck up. It, it's just, it's unbelievable that this shit ever got through the press. Then we have our Army Times. Two articles I want to cover. Former Army lineman gets waiver to play in the NFL. Former Army football standout Brett Toth, and I remember him from last year, has his can- chance to go pro-, pro after the Army official signed a waiver allowing him to bypass the remainder of his military comm- commitment and instead go to the NFL. I guess Trump is all in on this. Um, he is pushing that this be a normal thing, which I think is fantastic. It really does. And then new marksmanship for everything. Um, I'm going to surmise it. Very long article. It was the, the cover article for it. It's about tables. Those weapons, all of others in between, will have the soldiers working through six tables of instruction Without exception, table one to three will have soldiers learning marksmanship fundamentals and safety going through simulators and drilling the drills of various positions and movements, all without popping off real rounds. But it will be in those first tables the soldiers can set up for success. The 2014 RAND report that evaluated Army weapon training strategies for operational requirements, study author noted that while simulators were available, many commanders were not using them. That's about to change. Hoden noted that no soldier leader in an armored or striker brigade combat team thinks twice about whether to use the simulators for their larger weapon systems. But for some commanders, the small arms segments has often meant skipping simulators altogether. Now they're not going to have a problem or a choice they gotta do it it's part of qualification new evaluations go beyond just shooting at and hitting the target every command leader out there wants soldiers to be trained and proficient in warrior skills so it's going to be combat related when they do it here are the table of fire which they put on the next page just makes no goddamn sense one Mark preliminary instructions. Two, preliminary live fire simulations. Three, drills, refine, and evaluate. Four, basic. Five, practice, qualification. Table one through included preliminary marksmanship instruction, evaluation, preliminary live fire simulators, drills. Those are prerequisites to the live fire when the soldier must pass the gate to live fire before moving to live fire. Tables four through six. Table four. Basic is live fire conditions used for basic skills training at a reduced tempo. For rifle, soldiers must place 8 of 10 consecutive rounds within the 4-centimeter aiming point of the AB0 range and then confirm their zero at 300 meters by hitting an E-type silhouette 4 out of 5 times. That's new. When I did it, you said to get 4 out of... Um, what was it? F- five out of six. I want to say that's what it was. Table five practice is designed to be more difficult than the qualification by purposely inducing malfunctions and increasing the engagement tempo to build soldiers' confidence on the weapon, ammunition, optics, and training. Uh, five for rifle is four stages dry fire, day fire, chemical fire, and night fire, which we never really did. Uh, stage one, four firing phases where soldiers gain forty single or multiple stationary time targets from the prone, unsupported, prone, supported, kneeling supported, and standing supported. This requires soldiers to change positions and magazines. Must score a minimum of twenty three out of forty. That doesn't change. Stage two, one firing phase with ten single or multiple stationary timed. Targets from the standing unsupported position while wearing a protective mask. Stage 3, two firing phases with 20 single or multiple stationary time targets from the kneeling supported position while wearing their night vision device. Must score 14 out of 20 um, on the chemical, 7 out of 10. Stage 5, or excuse me, 4, one firing phase with 10 single or multiple stationary time targets from the standing unsupported position while wearing protective mask and NVGs. 7 out of 10. The alternate course of fire, Alt-C, is no longer considered a qualification. Alt-C used to be when you literally um, did paper targets. It was a paper target at 25 meters with all the targets represented, and you just shot at the paper, and then they you went up and counted. Um, the weapons. These weapons are covered by the Army's new training. Individual pistol. M9, 17, or 18, Carbon, 4, or 16, Sniper System, M249AR, Cruiser Machine Guns, M249L, M240 Bravo, M2A1, M2HB, and Mark 19, Special Purpose, FMG 138, Javelin, AT4, uh, M203, 320, M26 Shotgun Grenades, Crew platforms include the Abrams, Bradley, Track, MCV, Striker, Gun Track, Scout, Army Integrated Weapons Training Strategy, TC-320. And we're still having the same tables. For expert, must hit 36 out of 40. Sharpshooter, 32 out of 40 at the minimum. And marksman, 28. Qualified now is 23. And they don't get a wear a badge. Wow, that's new. That's some new shit, and that'll take us in to our college crazy!
20: Hey guys, welcome back to Now This. Guys is a simple term, because, or if you're modern, hip, it means, at first glance, guys seems in friendly, maybe warm, even comedic, but it, like many bold terms, should not be normal, all-encompassing phrase, it, it may seem. While we may understand the no real harm, with a deeper look in that we've been ignoring the cognitive impact women, as well as gender non by only explicitly ad- identifying individuals, of guys has changed over time. according to post, etymologists believe it began in the century with a guy named Guy Fox. been in the failed 1605 gun he only barely escaped a brutal by jumping off a scaffold and breaking. For the next few centuries, those who liken Shihin appearance or intellect were referred guys. Eventually, according to the globe, the term broadened to describe then to a generic term for men, some would say, a gender neutral phrase. For decades, we have set a standard addressing the men in the room. It's colloquial, but with our elevated inclusive perspective, it just seems inconsiderate and a small what reinforces the gender hierarchy. How is one to feel, impact, speak, or assert themselves when upon greeting, gendered, or even ignored in language? We'd be surprised that for decades women are comfortable asserting their voice when we even take the time to properly ignore. These linguistic tendencies were developed in eras where women were barely men and certainly not heard. You're not a bad feminist with using the phrase, guys. There are lot lar- that we, the feminists, need to combat productive rights, rape culture, violence and LGBTQ rights, and the gen- programming of most people's minds comes to the valuation of women in society. But. When you stop valuing the and visibility of individuals, you easier to dehumanize them on a map, minimizing his, her, their right to respect and appeal. I'm not offended, per se, if someone lumps eyes. I'm sure there's really no intent. In fact, if you and your friends want to freely address, by all means. I just want you to know one small step away from making a effort to dismantle the patriarchy. Me? Try walking into a room with cisgender heterosexual men and try y- out. Hey, gals. Okay, girl. Thanks, sis. I'm sh. Within 10 minutes, if not at least one person will correct you. All be as protective of our gender identity, cisgender, heterosexual man. You deserve it. So what can you do? One hey guys with a simple good morning. Hi, y'all. Folks, scholars, team if you're at work, in the forest, bay hive, because it's all it. You can also just find ways people's names and address everyone. And when in doubt, say nothing at all. Hey. Works. I challenge, take an extra .5 seconds about what comes out of your mouth before. Somewhere along the way, hey, nip a guy out or two, but dance for trying. You can say that all of silly or two PC, but there are always larger societal implications of the way we use it and weapon. Face it, the things we do and matter. So, if you do nothing else, heed after me. I am powerful. Hey guys, thanks for watching. Make sure to subscribe. To n-
4: that's now this, and that's Hey Guys. Really? Hey guys! You word smirthing motherfuckers. Who gives a shit? University of Alabama dean of students resigned, said American flag represents a systematic history of racism. Added, police are part of that system, after tweets he had issued in 2016 and 17 surfaced showing him saying the American flag represents systematic racism, and blah, blah, blah. He was shit can. This was actually broken by Breitbart News, and it's part of that agenda we talked about last time, the going out and finding horrible shit on lefties and scene of turnabout as fair play. I would say yes it is,
13: boys and girls.
4: UCLA professor, I don't see the second amendment as absolute, just like I don't see the first amendment as absolute. But he didn't say it with much gusto. I'm not going into it. It's the same old fucking shit. Wesleyan president defends safe space claims they can promote intellectual diversity. Connecticut University president has championed an effort to begin delegitimizing or de destigmatizing safe spaces on college campuses, claiming that the concept is necessary for intellectual diversity, despite growing evidence that at practice the concept doesn't do anything but the opposite. Wesleyan University president Michael S. Roth defended the notion of safe space on college campus in a recent New York Times op-ed, Don't Dismiss Safe Spaces. Of course the great lady did that. Characterizing critics of the practice as people who claim to worry about preserving free expression at colleges and university, according to Roth Safe Space, is an attempt to make sure all students are made to feel welcome in our outside classroom. He conceded that the coddling of students who feel fragile is counterproductive, but later argued that for different people at different times, safety can mean different things. Despite acknowledging the risk of infantizing students by overprotecting them, Roth insists that the practice of creating safe spaces is still an important necessary one, arguing that the outright dismissal of safe spaces can amount to harmful disregard for the well-being of students. Shut the fuck up! They don't need it. Dan Bondingo, who responded to it, safe spaces are absolutely pathetic. And if you're one of the sad, sorry human beings dedicated enough to need one, or delicate enough to need one, then you're pretty pathetic. Grow up. The world is a tough place. Deal with it. Thanks. That's all. And he's right. It is what it is. If you're not prepared for it, the world will eat you up and spit you out. That's why all these kids want free everything, because they really don't want to get out there and face the world. Anti-Christian media slams Drew Brees for appearance and anti-LGBT focus on the family video. New Orleans Saint quarterback Drew Brees appeared in a Focus on the Family video last week to promote Bring Your Bible to School Day. And that was way too controversial for anti-Christian media. They swarmed over Brees like angry bees for his association with Focus, stinging both with the anti-LGBT bigot label, the Washington Post, Dead Spin Blog, Big Easy Magazine, and the Young Turks internet program who said that terrorists or brave soldiers led the smear against Breeze and Focus on the Young Turks internet program Rick Strom blasts Breeze for sad religious ties with Focus which says same-sex marriage has no place in the context of Christian worldview Strom also referred to the torture technique used as homosexual 70 years ago which had nothing to do with his organization but why do facts matter? Deadspin writer Lauren Thiesen. The ma- a male who described himself as a transgender woman and a queer blogger slammed Breeze and Focus on the family for opposing big LGBT. He called them gay conversion therapy sickos. He demanded Breeze must do better than this and disavow focus. Jen Bentley of Big Easy magazine writes, Potentially ina- actionable libel. It's not surprising that Breeze is open about his faith, but she incorrectly f- accuses focus of the s- standard big LGBT lie that conversion therapy relies on physical abuse to bring about people's, or get rid of people's homosexuality. What is surprising is the anti-bullying advocate for a supportive religious group known to be one of the most well-funded anti-LGBT organizations in the country. Focus on the family supports and promotes the practice of conversion therapy, which uses a combination of shaming, emotional, manipulative, and traumatic stimuli, and physical and painful stimuli in order to cure LGBTQ people of their sexual orientation. According to the Trevor Project, more than 700,000 gay people have been subjected to conversion therapy. La la la, none of us Ever heard of it. In the Washington Post, Allison Chu headline cites Breeze for appearing in a video produced by an anti LGBT group. Focus on the Family was founded in 1977 and is described by the Human Rights Campaign as one of the most well funded anti LGBTQ organization in America. The group has sparked outcry of parents' support of conversion therapy. We did it over and over and over, over and over. Sharon Swoops, a former WNBA player, left the homosexual lifestyle actress. Han Heck and many others who did so without Christian bigots torturing them. Breeze denied that he opposed the equality, leading Thais into stall. Breeze has a message for his critics. What? Me? Bigoted? Me? I do not support any group that discriminates or have their own agenda that are trying to promote inequality. Supporting a group that discriminates and it has its own agenda that tries to self-promote in- inequality. Thieson said Breeze needs to find someone to tell him his video was produced by people who want to oppress gay people. He tried to fucking You know, do the mea culpa. The media won't accept it. And then he went out and fucking won the game with fucking 30 seconds left. So, all of you eat a bag of dicks. What the fuck? He's a Christian. This has nothing to do with about anti LGBT stuff, it has to do with your hate of Christians. Own it! You're an anti-Christian bigot. That's who you are. But it was a big deal this week. CNN analyst: To stay viable, NFL must encourage gays. What? On Saturday afternoon, CNN followed up as Friday morning hosts gushing over the NFL's Ryan Russell coming out as bisexual by continuing to do its part to promote gay rights. CNN sports analyst Christian Brennan predicted the NFL must encourage more gays to come out so they can be viable in the future. Yeah, I bet that gay market is really big for the NFL. Gotta get out there. Uh, CNN newsroom weekend anchor Anna Cabrera proclaimed that Russell had made a bold move seeing a New Day host from Friday um I don't know what they're trying to say there, whatever, Cabrera then brought up about Brennan, who is also a sports columnist for USA Today, who declared that it's a big deal because the NFL is a reflection of our culture she also alluded to Colin Kaepernick and yada 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 how do you think the NFL will handle this? because we know Michael Sam tried to blaze the same trail five years ago, never played another NFL game because he fucking sucked they never consider that Sam just sucked. Anna, uh, the National Football League wants to be viable, wants to retain its spot as the number one pro league in our country. Well, in this century, it has to accept this and it has to encourage this because those fans who may be in their sixties, seventies, eighties, who maybe are a little bit more reluctant on this topic, well, they're going to be, in our, they're going to die. That was, that was her theory. Your future fan base, your future preseason ticket holders, are about people in the twenties, and they're gay the fuck up. She added, And the future of the NFL frankly depends upon the NFL getting this right, welcoming, understanding, and mandating in those locker rooms, gay people need to be gay gay.
8: Yeah. Okay.
4: Next article, Michigan conservatives anger the LCE, ACLU, for not allowing Down Syndrome Drag Show. Let's just look at that for a second. Mentally impaired person, child Drake show. Is that not child abuse? Anybody? Jesus. Doesn't get any wilder, or more depressing for our society than this. In an effort to subvert any sense of decency, especially for the most fragile amongst us, the leftists produce a drag show for Down syndrome. And it's not deplorable enough the Republican in charge of the Michigan venue where set was to be performed was hit by the ALC- ACLU for barring it from happening because shame on him for not letting down syndrome folks express themselves. The complaint insinuates that Peter Meyer's mandate may be discriminatory discriminatory against disabled people. The New York Times published the topsy-turvy story on Thursday, detailing what the civil ACLU sees as discrimination. The small troop of drag performers with Down syndrome call themselves Drag Syndrome, God help us, have been welcomed on stage in London, Stockholm, and Oslo, but we're in Michigan, and that's just a fucking horrible thing. Every one of you who are for this, go fuck yourself. That is child abuse. But the LGBT crowd, well, they weren't just done there. Outlet and social media fire off trigger warning for IT. On Friday, LGBT news and entertainment outlet Pride published an article warning people about the scene from IT Chapter 2. Spoiler alert, I guess. Um, I'll say that. The new Stephen King horror adaptation, which a gay couple are savagely beaten and one is tossed over a bridge. Their article titled, Trigger Warning, It's Chapter 2 Featuring a Graphic Gay Hate Crime, shares a portion of the critic review discussing the plot point, as well as several tweets from LGBT writer and Twitter, users of, offering their personal trigger warnings for fellow film goers. Slate's Jeff Lee, Jeffrey Bloomer also lamented the scene as a piece titled, It Chapter 2 Gay Bashing Scene Exploits a Real-Life Killing for Cheap Stock. After tweeting out his warning, Twitter user The Salinger says, he received both support and backlash, warning gays and LGBT people going to see two. The opening scene involves a brutalization of two gay men and the murder of one of them. I felt sick, and it threw off my entire movie experience. I just want you to be aware. I'm not saying don't see the movie. I'm simply warning you. It's fucking... Jessica Chastain, who could not be any more liberal echoed the sentiment. I think you need to see the scene because he writes about the darkness that's under the surface. The dirt on the fingernails of the small town of mankind. We're trying to be on your side! Jesus fucking Christ. A lot of the our community tweets. When did our community go from being strong and staying up to real-life attacks of persecution to being harmed by fictional scenes of violence? It's not real. Get a grip. If they start adding no LGBT people were harmed in the making of the film in the end, I'm done. But he's the butch in the relationship. Or she. Or it. CNN human rights campaign set to host Dem Town Hall on LGBT issues. I talked about this, and here it is. The 2020 presidential election is still more than a year away, but it hasn't kept rating star CNN from announcing that for some reason they will hold yet another town hall marathon set for mid-October in Los Angeles to focus on what CNN host Don Lemon says on issues that are important to the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, aquarium queer community, or a.k.a. me, according to an article posted on Thursday. Oh, and I guess Cooper's gay, too, so maybe it's him and Cooper. By CNN political analyst Mark Preston, CNN is partnering with the Human Rights Campaign Foundation for our next series of presidential town halls and issues that are important to the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, MAP, and all you other freak community. (laughs) Even National Coming Out. I didn't say gays are freaks. It's all the other freaks. Coming Out Day. It's National Coming Out Day is when they're doing it. Which features the largest ever audience for Democratic President Town Hall devotees to LGBTQ. Invitation to participate in the now hall will be extended to Democratic President Hopefuls and meet the DNC's qualification. Candidates must reach at least 2%. Let me get to the part that I want to get to. So far, blah blah, 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 blah. No public tickets will be available. So much for openness. In the case the candidates might actually get a difficult question, they will only take queries from the audience and journalists on specific lgbtq concerns they then start going into a whole thing about how everything's horrible because of trump gay people are being killed by the handful and none of that's true you ever do a veteran issue would that ever be we're a smaller percentage we really are i mean i think we're a minority group we need some minority representation Jim Hansen brings it to our next little soundbite. I had to play this because it's just fucking fantastic. This is a Canadian Chick-fil-A die-in. Which, I don't know how you're dying. Maybe it's the chickens? I don't know. But Jim Hansen goes, I'm a new favorite Canadian at the absurd Chick-fil-A protest. A calm, cool, collected Canuck explains to a spluttery, angry Beardo, it's a fucking chicken sandwich. A concept. The concept. Left can't
3: be hey, 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 hey. <laughs> 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 millions of chicken, dollars chicken dollars sandwich
18: LGBT chicken right. sandwich. Exactly. It's chicken and sandwiches. you because it's you're a, a heterosexual first-gendered male. That's why it's only chicken. It's just a sandwich, dude.
4: To the most absurd thing I saw on TV, then parroted by Jamel Hill. I watched College Football 150. It's a show from ESPN. It's one of those 30 for 30s. And then they went over and put it on ABC. And there's a whole section on historically black college universities. And how they wouldn't let them play in regular schools, especially in the South. And then they did, and then now that that's bad, because now the historically black colleges don't have the great people so they can have black power again, so this guy was just going on about how fucking horrible it was, and then Jamel Hill goes, black athletes should leave white colleges, it's time for black athletes to leave them and play for black colleges. Former ESPN commentator and racist Jamel Hill, the woman who sparked national, blah, 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 White, uh, Okay, let's get to the fucking point. She penned it in the Atlantic, which she called for black athletes to have a mass exodus from white colleges. Jamel Hill announced her article in a tweet on Thursday, which she titled, It's time for black athletes to leave white colleges. Very proud that my first magazine piece for the Atlantic, or, the, yeah, it's the Atlantic, is appearing in the October issue. So what does the piece actually say? Well, everything the title suggests. White colleges are oppressive places, and black athletes should get Out. Black athletes have attracted money and attention to the predominantly white universities to showcase them. She writes, meanwhile, black colleges are struggling. Alabama's athletic department generated $174 million in 2016-70 school year, whereas the HBCUs have generated the most money for the athletics that, that year. Prairie View brought in less than $18 million, and that's fucking whole, horrible. And you should just give up on it. I'm not reading the rest of it. It is pure racism. It has nothing to do with what's better for these athletes. Oh, let's see. Play for Alabama and go to the pros and make millions of dollars. Or play for Prairie View where, unless your name's Rice, a lot of people aren't going to see those fucking games. It's like playing Division II. But it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with why play for Whitey. Black people only, black colleges only, play with only black people. We want to de-segregate. Or, we want to segregate. I can't even know how to say that anymore. (laughs) Segregate. We want to segregate from Whitey, because Whitey's bad. And I ain't lying to you. Watch that show, College 150. Football is Us. That's the name of it. That's what the guy pushes. Big time. New York Times blames sexism for failure of Gillibrand. Long a champion champion of women whole articles because her campaign sucks. Yeah. Campaign sucks. You fucking people what is what does sexism have to do with it? She's a shitty candidate. Dave Chappelle, Rotten Tomato stand up reviews are in. They're exactly what you expect. All of the critics, the media have dogged it, gave it a thirty eight. The audience ninety nine. Ninety nine percent. Next one's Joker movie slammed by social justice warrior for glorifying incel violence. I don't know what that fucking is. Joker allows incels are the movement of mo- mostly young white men who consider themselves involuntary celibate, celibates to relate to a mainstream character and explain that even they say justifies a descent a descent into violence. SJWs argue that audience will be encouraged to sympathize with Locan phoenix arthur fleck who leads a lonely life and suffers regular bullying and existence which eventually drives him to become a psychotic killer clown and the sympathy might carry over to the real world incels it's that incel shit again that i can never remember what it is because it's fucking stupid and once again this is all from rachel miller i'm just gonna read a little bit of it because this is Okay, I pinpoint exactly what that bothers me about Joker. I don't want to watch a movie that shows us the trauma that drove the Joker insane. I don't want to watch a movie well-mentioned but an unstable man gets bullied until he turns into a mass murderer. I don't want to watch a man get rejected by women as an excuse to his future of domestic abuse. I don't want to be shown what poor unfortunate underdog this man who has sadly forced by circumstances the nasty Batman to take up a life of crime. I don't want to have sympathy for a man best known for his robbery, murder, and arguably rape shoved down the throats for two hours. I don't want this to be sold as a relatable story that can happen to anyone with a bad enough day, and I don't want to be around any of the lonely white boys who really relate to it. Now, why did I read that? Isn't that what we're told about African Americans? Every fucking day, you could pick up a piece of newspaper or what that black people only do crimes because of their environment. But because you inverse it, and make it a white person. Now it's bad. But the most important point about all of this is. It's a fucking movie man. It's not real. It's a fucking comic book. You fucking moon bats. And you're relating. Fiction. To real world. Just hurts my pancreas man. I mean seriously. Get a grip. But we can't! Handmaid's Tale author! It can happen here! Hulu, The Handmaid's Tale, which was horrible and got panned by everybody, was this fucking terrible season that made no sense. Well, i got to bring it out the next thing. Potential sign of things to come when women don't prepare themselves, is the original author of the book upon which the series is based. Speaking with CBS News, Margaret Atwood said that she garnered her inspiration from the feminist dystopian novel about women being forced to produce babies for infertile wealthy elites after visiting several totalitarian, largely communist, regimes in Eastern Europe. So there I am in West Berlin, surrounded by the wall, and I'm visiting various totalitarian regimes in East Germany and Czechoslovakia and Poland. So for instance, Cescou in Romania made a law that women had to have four babies and that they had to have pregnancy tests every month. And if they weren't pregnant, why not? It's not me, who made this stuff up. The human race made it up, unfortunately, she said. Except the Handmaid Tale does not tell the story about the atheist, totalitarian regime subjugating women for utilitarian purposes, or even the story about Islamic regime. It tells the story about zealot, cultish Christians So even though Atwood could find countless examples of women being subjugated in non-Western countries, she chose only to attack Christianity, which on the surface appears to be a political decision rather than an artistic one. It is a warning, she says. I have never believed it can happen here. I never believed, and more and more people are joining me in the lack of belief. CBS News then pointed out that women all over the world took to the streets in 2017 wearing handmade costumes. Blah, blah, blah. Ah! And more of the, how many children or family have taken in, she said. I accept this responsibility I find all those things shocking. The degree of ignorance of racism with Handmaid. What is shocking is that the era that we live in now with this president, things I didn't think were possible, in fact, are happening. They're happening everywhere, but we can't find it. So CBS does it, and the New York Times goes, Hold my fucking beer. After the election of President Trump, sales of handmade tale surged and readers noted how times it felt. Some elements have become even more aligned with current events with the erosion of reproductive rights. Where? Separation of parents and the children at the border? Already happening. And the targeting minorities by white supremacists? Where? Did you want write a sequel and part of Address? Some of these new parallels? Atwood let drop an interesting reason why Hulu had changed the racial aspects of the book. After gloated Atwood, how do you feel about the fact that your book had taken on new political resonance and that you're sometimes held up to a figurehead of resistance? Is it also kind of depressing that people are seeing echoes of your fictional dystopian and contemporary part? fucking politics and then I wanted to say how Gilead is today yeah okay you fucking people Jesus Christ to our crime well not crime but some of it's crime some of it's crazy door blows up Boeing 777X during a stress test that's probably not good might want to fix that door 82 year old man slipped past doormen in upscale buildings for years and stole 400K in jewelry. Samuel Sabatino. You go get some. Look at that guy. Which brings us to our lighter fare. This is from the Trump War Room. And I put it in here because it's funny that somebody finally compiled all the things the left wants to tell you about what food you can or cannot eat. Enjoy.
18: We know that we're going to have to
3: do a
7: lot
18: to fight global warming. That includes looking at how our food is
7: produced
20: and
16: choosing some other options. I think a lot of references about cow farts. Mm. And I think that's a reference to your Green New Deal. Yes. Can you explain that for us? we
20: got to address. Factory farming. Maybe we shouldn't be eating a hamburger for breakfast, lunch, and dinner.
14: The UN just released a study that said we're going to be okay if the vast majority of the world goes vegetarian
17: immediately. We actually have to have a real priority at the highest level of government around what we eat. There are a lot of ways that we try to change our energy consumption. And our pollution. Creating incentives that we will eat in a healthy way, that we will encourage moderation. More
18: vegetables, more fruits, more meatless options.
17: Some of it is with white bulbs, some of it is on
7: straws, some of it, dang, is on cheeseburgers, right? There are a
17: lot of different pieces to this. And that we will be educated about the effects of our eating habits on our environment.
16: And they believe in Meatless Mondays. More meatless options.
11: Would you support changing the dietary guidelines? Yes. You know, the food pyramid. Yes. Yes. Reduce red meat specifically.
3: Yes, I would. I hear about it all the time. Booker wants to take away your hamburger. Uh, You know, from using a straw to eating a burger, am I part of the problem? In a certain way, yes, but the most exciting thing is that we can all be part of the solution.
11: Do you ban plastic straws? I think
7: we should.
17: Yes. What do you plan on doing to ensure that Americans limit their consumption of animal products? Germany has imposed a meat tax.
14: You're right, we got to look at agriculture. It's good for the environment, it's good for your health if you eat less meat. That is music to
18: my ears. Always want our kids to eat their veggies, now they're actually doing it.
14: Enjoy.
10: They're
4: fucking psychos, man. They want to tell you how to fucking shake your dick when you pee. It's fucking insane. Which leads us to one last segment, we're going to close the show out and go into the September 11th. Um, I wanted to do it that way for those that don't want to listen. They don't have to. A lot of people um, are turned off by it or don't want to remember it. But I think it's really important to be reminded. And it's hard to do it in the front because, you know, that'd be a leadoff. And I'd, I'd do it if it was tomorrow, but it's today. But I decided to look at polling, all right? And this got passed on Twitter. And if you're a West Coast college person, uh, you know that it's very hard to get ranked. High. And as the season goes on, you don't, unless you beat an SEC team, you don't get credit. So when this season started, 11 to 16 was where the Ducks were, depending on where you looked. And then they lose in the last second to Auburn. Then they come back and they beat a team that beat Purdue. And they beat that team 77 to 6. Okay? They blew them the fuck out. And then the poll came out. And they only upticked a little. Now, when they lost to Auburn, they dropped about six to nine places. Well, this gentleman, after this last poll, decided to put up, this is where it's coming from. Now, he wasn't directing it for the Ducks. But he was directing it to Michigan. Now, Michigan... Almost got by beat by Army. Now, by no means do you think Army's not a good team. They took frickin' a, a college football playoff team, the Oklahoma Sooners, to death's door. Double overtime. And they did it again with Michigan. Much smaller, less talented. These dudes don't get to go to play at the NFL. They get to go to war. But they played them great. Army is a fantastic football team. I truly believe that will be their last loss. They will be eleven and one when it's all over, and have a really good bowl. Who they're going to beat somebody else? They just made a few mistakes. It's early in the season, but he was directing it towards how Michigan didn't pay a price for that. They were a top ten team, and there's people who still have them in the top ten. They kept them at seven after barely beating a team that they were, you know, a three touchdown favorite. And he shows who voted for what. And I go in here, and now I catapult it into, well, no fucking shit. This is why Pac-12 teams don't have a shot unless they go undefeated like Oregon did. Or unless you dick stamp somebody from the SEC. The Oregon Ducks are now I think 16 or 14 or some shit with ESPN. They moved back up a little bit because they had a resounding win. They pay the Grizzlies and they're going to play Stanford and if they win, they'll be great. But on this poll, they're anywhere from number 10, somebody from Iowa, or number 25, they lost more after beating a team 70 76 from a guy from Boston. Inversely, Washington, who lost a cow, in some polls, they didn't even drop because the voter never watched the game. I am Central Time Zone. I am an Oregon Duck freak. Starting tomorrow, I'm trying to get dish. Been with Drug TV forever. They keep fucking me. My bill goes crazy can't get fucking Pac-12 network, they fuck around so you can't see the NFL network unless you change packages, they even fuck with um, Hallmark Channel, which I watch during the holidays, don't judge me, they got good Christmas movies, but they'll adjust that so you can't watch it, just try to get some more money out of you, and then the some bitches decided to charge me for Sunday NFL ticket, I didn't even sign up for Sunday NFL, NFL ticket, now I'd love to do it. But I'm not paying $300 to watch the Packers lose, secondly, because that's what's going to happen. Every time I get Sunday NFL ticket, the Packers suck. So I'm not cursing us this year after our pathetic win 10 to 7 over, you know, Chicago. I mean, at least has got a decent defense, but that offense sucks. And even then, if I get dish, and I get the Pac-12 network, I'm not staying up to one or two in the morning to watch a fucking football game. I'm not doing it. I do what my son does. He's really smart. Zach in Tennessee. Had a great Saturday. We watched some football. We actually watched the Michigan game. Had some burgers, a couple beers. It was a great Saturday. He promised every Saturday he's going to come out of here. I'm looking forward to it because it's nice to watch football again. But the point of the matter is, we, he and I, we just don't Turn on your phone, don't go to ESPN, you tape the game, you get up and watch it. And it can be exciting. Now, I know, it's kind of hard sometimes, because when you're watching the game, something happens, or your phone beeps, it's really hard to do that. But it, I can't stay up that fucking late, So, I'm not dogging them. But at least before you submit your votes, you would know that Oregon clubs somebody... And Washington lost. But they don't. Because they don't watch Pac-12 teams. Thus, it's hard as hell for Pac-12 teams to get any respect. Remember, Oregon was undefeated 12-0. Went lost by fucking a field goal to Auburn. They didn't get ranked number one until the last fucking second. Because nobody was watching the game. I've said it for a billion times. If we just played day games, more people would see it. But they don't watch it. They watch SEC games. Like big hubbub on an ESPN this morning that Alabama scheduled a game with Mississippi State during the day and now they're worrying about heat because it's going to be 120 degrees. That, well, fuck! We can do that on the West Coast. Fuck the heat. Drink Gatorade. Get your fucking ass out there. But we don't. We play, you know, Pac-12 after dark bullshit on fucking Fox Sports. Or ESPN. Nobody stays up and watches it. But these voters are so homered to wherever they're at. That you go up and down here. Even the Alabama. Toledo. Closer to Alabama than Clemson. But he voted for Alabama. The next one was the law. The another. This, this is a fucking uh, Louisiana voted for Alabama over Clemson. Most of these motherfuckers literally are checking the block. They're not paying attention to the games. There's no way that Oregon loses by a fucking last second touchdown off the first game of the season that they were leading for the entire fucking game and you can drop from number one to 16. And then Michigan barely beats Army and they don't move anywhere unless you're biased. Unless you are a Big Ten SEC school, it's just bias or you're beat. It's like that dickhead in Boston. He never seen Oregon play. He probably didn't stay up for that game because on the East Coast he didn't get over till midnight. He never watched it. All he did is see Oregon lost. Pac twelve sucks. I don't even know the teams. I don't give a fuck. I'm from the Boston Globe. That's that's where you're at. Michael Vega, Boston Globe cocksucker. Seriously. And he's got Boston College ranked. Yeah, no shit. They play nobody. He's got them ranked 24. That just totally makes me understand why why the polls have always been fucked. Why when Washington literally ended up winning the national championship in a poll... He didn't win in the other because nobody ever watched their games. The whole thing is a clusterfuck. Now, do I think Oregon's a college football playoff team? No. No, I don't. I think by the time they get done with the fucking Pac-12, Stanford lost. Fucking Washington lost. They lost to Cal. And they go through and beat... Stanford-Washington beat Cal now well, because they're undefeated. Beat They don't play Utah until the championship game, so that's the team that everybody thinks is going to be the best thing to slice break because they're not playing anybody. But they're probably going to lose to USC. As long as they get through and beat USC, I think they can get a New Year's Six Bowl game. And I think they're much better than what they played in that game. It was the first game, and they just choked. I think they're a great team. But I don't think they're the top four teams. No, I don't. I don't think that. But it's not fair to them if you don't fucking actually get a shot. And it's what we've always said back when it was the BCS system. Those power teams that ESPN jerks off to and all their people from the Big Ten or SEC, they're already voted way high. So as the season goes on, as long as they don't lose, they were going to get picked for BCS college game. They were going to. Whereas a team like Oregon, Washington, USC, you had to whoop somebody to even get a look at it, to get up there. You couldn't even get up there unless everybody in the SEC lost. And if you really look at the SEC this year, you got Alabama, you got Alabama, and Alabama. Auburn is not that good of a team. They barely beat some fucking scrubs. What was like Weber State or some shit. They barely beat them. Oregon went out and put 77 burger on a team that beat Purdue and scored 49 points the week prior. I'm not saying Oregon's the best team ever. I'm just saying, well, if you can do that, what the fuck, Chuck? So that's my rant. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast, except for the 9-11 section will come in a second. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. Send comments to FOPpodcast at gmail.com. FOPpodcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out our Facebook page at FOPpodcast and our Twitter account at FOP20Read. Two things. Uh, I want to talk about stats. We did 1,600 listens last week uh, or last month. Pretty damn good. Denmark, a lot of Germany. Uh, top city was uh, Heidelberg wow Um, and there was no top listeners which doesn't make any sense Uh, I think once again they're not tracking who does it so thanks for the listen and you know I never got my doggone freaking email Denmark what's up I think they stopped listening because there's only 16 listens Uh, another thing for those that are with the show send us information I was talking to Better House this weekend. I, I'm thinking about changing the name of the show. I know that would be difficult, but it would still be the same feed. It wouldn't change, just the name would change. Um from flyover politics with the K to the Tony Reid show. Just an idea. It might make it more user friendly more people would listen to it. Um I think the K people think it's I don't know, Russian or some shit. I had somebody actually say, we well, got a, a fucking Russian. I, know, I got stupid emails before. Um, so think about that. Send me an email or text of your family member. I don't know. It's long term. Maybe after the first year, I just changed this thing to the Tony Rico. Which brings us to our um, closing segment, which is going to be 30 minutes. It's going to start from um, actual impact through falling of towers, through some war, and some personal stuff. Um, 18 years ago, our nation was attacked. We stayed together for about a month, and then Democrats decided to use it as a cudgel and say that we were in a quagmire. Remember, I was in Afghanistan reading USA Today saying that we were in a quagmire, and we were getting our asses kicked from Democratic people. We went through the phases of the Iraq War where the Iraqi Liberation Act passed by Democrats uh, was now uh, Bush-lied people died. Mirth is saying soldiers who went across the objective and a guy tried to grab his weapon and killed him was a murderer to non-funding of it, to Obama killed Osama bin Laden, to where we're at now. Somehow along the way, I think as a country, we've lost what really happened and could happen again in this country. I think we've lost that we were attacked or very nation was attacked, and more people were killed here um, than Pearl Harbor, um, which started a whole war. And I think it's important we stop and reflect that we are in the 18th year, or 19th year, excuse me, we started in 2000. Um, officially 19 years come, uh, no, 18 years, I'm sorry, 18, November 2001, we started this war in Afghanistan. And that's a really long time. Sadly, with no end in sight, you've had ISIS, you've had attacks everywhere, we still have Taliban, and the enemy that attacked us hasn't really changed. They're still the same people. It's not about Saudi Arabia. It's not about, it, it will be a forever war. We will be fighting radical Islamists who do pervert their Quran. And hate on us for our very being, who we are, how we live our lives. And I think we have to be reminded of that. I think we have to stop, pause. I always stop. I think it's 846, pretty sure that's the time. And just take a break and think about all that changed from that day. For people like me and my family, um, it changed a lot. It changed my son and daughter forever. It changed me and my wife. We went through some really rough times. Um, I wasn't home for almost five years. And I'm, like, lucky. I got out. There's people that have lost their marriages, lost loved ones, fathers, brothers, sisters, sons. There's been a serious toll since that day. And if you go back and you watch something like the um, Smithsonian Channel, From the scraps, or I can't remember their actual name, but it shows items that were found and, um, a total timeline and the, from the heartland, they call it the heartland tapes about local towns and kids who are now adults, um, being interviewed about the attack. It just really strikes you that how far we've gone down the road and that we've kind of forgotten. And, and most of us said we'd never forget. So I wanted to do this segment just to pay homage to so many, you know, almost 7,000 people have died in the war. The 3,000 were killed. It, it's just, it's a time that you live through in your life and you wish you never had. Um, I'm sure people went to Pearl Harbor. Don't go back and go, yeah, I lived through Pearl Harbor. It's something you don't want to remember, but it's just really kind of horrible. Um, but I think once again, you need to remember. So thank you all for listening to the show. Tune back in because I didn't talk about it. We're going to go with a Friday podcast. So that'll be the, um, what the hell is that? We'll go with the uh, 13th as our next podcast because I didn't do that. And um, I hope you listen to these 30 minutes. Um, I think it's uh, something we all should do. Not every year, but every once in a while and take pause. And, um I will talk to you Friday.
13: Take care.
7: Good morning, Mother Scott. 8695, good morning. Have a good day. Hi, what's going on again, please? 8695. I'm on the 83rd floor. I'm on the 83rd floor. Now, I'm out on the 8695. 8695. She had the world trace at Someone having difficulty breathing on the 83rd floor. Hey, ma'am, how are you doing? Is, it, is, it, is it, Are they going to be able to get somebody up here? Well, of course madam we We're coming up to you. Well, there's no one here yet, and the floor is completely engulfed. We're on the floor, and we can't breathe. Okay. And it's very, very, very hot. It's very, is all the lights still on? The lights are on, but it's very hot. Ma'am, ma'am. It's very hot. We're all the way on the other side of Liberty, and it's very, very hot. Are you lights to turn the lights off? No. No, the lights are off. Okay, good. Now, everybody stay calm. You're doing a good job? Please. Ma'am, listen. ma'am, Everybody's coming. Everybody knows. Everybody knows what happened, okay? Yeah. yeah. But no, no. They have to take time to come up here. You know that. you got to be very careful. very hot. I understand. you got to be very, very careful how they approach you, okay? All so, like, right. So when they come up here, it won't be worse than it is. Now, you stay calm. And so how many people are where you're at right now? There's like five people here with you. All up on the 83rd floor? 83rd floor. With five people. Our uh, Everybody's having trouble breathing? Everybody's having trouble breathing. Some people are worse. <laughs> Some people are uncon- unconscious. Everybody's awake? So far, yes. But it's uh, really listen, listen. Everybody's awake? Yes, they're conscious. Fine. And it's very hot there, but no fire, right? I can't see. No, no, high. Uh, very hot. No fire for now, and no smoke, right? No smoke, right? Well, of course there's smoke. Ma'am, ma'am, you have to stay calm. There is smoke. I can't okay. breathe. Okay, you stay calm with me, okay? I understand I you. think there is fire because it's very hot. Okay. It, it's very hot everywhere on the floor. Okay. I know you don't see it, and I know, but we, I'm going to document I'm documenting what you say, okay? And it's very hot. We see no fire, but you see smoke, right? It's very hot. I see. I don't. I don't see any air anymore. Okay. All I see it smoke. Okay, dear, I'm so sorry. Hold on, stay calm with me. Stay calm. Now, Please. Sister, uh, listen, listen, the call is in. I'm documented. I'm going to let those. Hold on one second, please. I'm going to die, aren't I? No, 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 no. I'm going to die. die. Ma'am, 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 say your prayers. And we're not going to think positive because you got to help each other get off the floor. I'm going to Stay calm, stay calm, stay calm, stay please calm. God. Right, you're doing a good job, ma'am. You're doing oh, a good job. It's good so, job. so hot. I'm burning up then you Okay. If you don't, the floor is hot and everything is hot. Now they're desperate. When you go up high, you, you get too close away from the smoke. Okay. I know you know. Hold on. I'm 83rd floor. Two people trapped. Very hot on the 83rd floor. Two people trapped. Having trouble breathing. Very hot. Wait, wait, wait. I hear voices. Hello? Help! And that's what I'm doing. I'm just letting you know. Okay. Hello, ma'am? Hello? Stay calm. Ma'am? Ma'am? Hey, calm. Stay calm. Stay calm. Just don't move. Oh, my God. They are coming through with you now? Find out if there's anybody here on the 83rd floor. Ma'am, I don't worry. You stay on the phone with me and we're I already. Can you don't... find out if there's anyone on the 83rd floor? Because Ma'am, I already, I already heard somebody. Listen. Excuse me. I already notified this lieutenant, okay? Uh, Ado, I notified, City. Ado? Yes, Lieutenant Ado. I already notified the lieutenant that there's five people on the 4th floor, right? Very hot and smoky. So they will overlook you, okay, dear? Can you Can on the line with you, I am going to on the line with you, please. Yes, ma'am, I am I'm going to say. on the line with you, uh, uh, They're here? Are they inside with you yet, dear? No. Okay, stay calm until they get inside. I know where they are. Yeah, stay, stay, cu- stay calm until they get inside. Karen! Uh, okay, ma'am. What's the job number you have? I have 727. 727? Yes. Hey.
9: Then
16: and there, I knew that this was going It appears that the there is more and more fire and smoke enveloping the very top of the building. And as fire crews are descending on this area, it it, it does not appear that there's any kind
10: of a, an effort up there yet. Now, remember, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my. That looks like a second plane. Oh. I didn't see a plane go in. That, that just exploded. We I, just saw another plane coming said, in from the side. You did. That I I was out of the way. Yes, and that's view. the second explosion. You could see the plane come in just from the right-hand side of the screen. So this looks like oh, it is some mind. sort of a concerted yeah, effort it. to attack the World Trade Center that is underway in downtown New York.
7: Did you hear the explosion oh, from yes. your position? Yes, we did. As a matter of fact, we we heard it and... and because I was just, like, standing there pretty much looking out the window. I didn't see what caused it or if there was an impact.
14: So you have no idea right,
7: right oh, now? Oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. <gasps> right? Oh. oh, my God. Another plane has just hit, it oh. hit another building. It oh. flew right into the middle of it. <gasps> Explosion. Oh, my God. It's right in the middle of the building.
3: This one into the East Tower.
7: Yes. Yes. Right in the middle of the building. It, and right now... That yes, that was definitely looked like it was on purpose.
3: You saw a yes, plane. Yes, I just
7: saw a plane go into the building.
19: As you look at uh, the picture from our chopper now arriving at the scene, uh, Jim Friedel in Hoboken uh, said it appeared to back sharply and mm. smash directly, perhaps purposefully, into. Oh my goodness! Oh God! There's another one. Oh. oh my goodness there's another that one seems to be on purpose oh my goodness now plane? you now it's obvious I think that uh, th- there's a second plane just crashed into the World Trade Center I think we have a terrorist back of proportions that we cannot begin to imagine at this juncture
7: we'll try to get a better vantage point and see what we can see on the ground it's a little difficult from the air because the buildings kind of shadow the streets but no doubt a lot of activity on the ground right now. And um, in terms of the firefighting capabilities when you get up to this high level, uh, I assume the firefighters have got to get up there and, uh, you know, fight it from inside. Oh, Uh, if you're taking a look now, you can see that we've just had another explosion and that is considerably lower. And is that in the other building? Is that that what I'm witnessing? That apparently does look like it is in the other building at this point.
5: No report
10: of any...
18: This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. You can see the firemen assembled here, the police officers, FBI agents, and you can see the two towers, a huge explosion now, raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way! of thousands of our citizens. Everybody who is here. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you for making the nation proud. And may God bless America. Oh
12: Go to buses that will take them to C-17s that will take them to Kandahar. Seven hours into the flight, ammunition is passed out, helmets and flak jackets. Full battle dress will be put on. There could be snipers upon landing at Kandahar. These soldiers know danger exists.
10: Kind of apprehensive about. Really obvious. This was an airport. The sign out front. Kandahar International Airport there is a tower but right now this place is swarming with soldiers let's go on inside we'll see what it looks like from the looks of things it was built back in the 70s the archways the tile a lot of soldiers are now camped out in here they're waiting for tents and other equipment to arrive so they can get more settled in but for now this terminal is their home on the walls inside are a lot of handwritten notes obviously from school children the soldiers get to see these what an inspirational message they are for the next two weeks this will be our work area the media has locations here in the terminal and whether you can see it or not a lot of the windows in this place have been shot out and so at night it gets really cold and hopefully for not too much longer our accommodations for right now are inside this terminal inside a tent that the Marines have left, but they're shipping out. So hopefully the U.S. Army will have accommodations for us very soon. In Kandahar, I'm Mike Maychak. Now back to you.
17: It's the middle of the night here in Kandahar. Photographer Mike Rose and I are the first media to officially be embedded with the 187 Rokkasan's Charlie Company. That means for the next 24 hours, we'll be eating, sleeping, and working along beside the brave Fort Campbell soldiers who are guarding one of the most dangerous places here at the base, the west perimeter of Camp Kandahar.
15: It's a nightly routine. We get up in the middle of the night and check in the perimeter make sure all the soldiers are alert.
17: It's 2 o'clock in the morning at Camp Kandahar. We're following the captain and first sergeant of Charlie Company as they check in with their troops, guarding the perimeter at the base.
10: You guys doing all right? No problems. No issues tonight. First sergeant, how are you guys doing?
17: Soldiers stand guard all night long in foxholes and bunkers.
10: Uh, first platoon is strong. From where we were staying, all the way across the roofs, and they have positions also downstairs.
17: There is still a very real threat here.
13: I've seen and heard firefights around, but uh, like me personally, I haven't really seen much, like real close. I haven't really uh, fired any shots or nothing like that yet.
18: 5.
17: Wednesday, snipers reported three different incidents of suspicious people running near the perimeter.
18: Some of the guys out here, you know, they're just anxious for something to happen. You know.
17: And troops from 187 Rakassans are proud to be a part of this war on terrorism.
2: It's a sense of pride, you know, to be out here. Damn, you got like a dance club over here, oh, David.
14: It's like being a Korean, listening to Korean radio and watching Korean TV,
5: just to listen to the other cultures.
17: Soldiers have set up fighting positions and living quarters inside old mud huts.
5: We've we've already joked a little bit about trying to find anything in English on the radio. So.
17: a makeshift fireplace and glow sticks make the inside livable.
5: It's like a movie. You know? It's like some bad some bad movie. It's just third world. It's it's surreal, honestly, to, to see it, because it takes a little while to realize that you're actually not. A few blocks away from your house. With good luck charms from my wife, my son, and my daughter.
17: Some troops brought good luck charms with them to this strange place.
4: My daughter gave me this, and she says, whenever you're away, you can always point it
5: home. It's a little compass.
17: Even in relaxed moments like these, the thought of the war is never far away.
5: Getting ready. So... Hopefully for for nothing, but getting ready nonetheless.
17: On this cold and wet night in January 2002, we have literally been on the front lines of America's war on terrorism. And after spending a few days with the Fort Campbell soldiers, I can tell you, they're doing their best to fight this war for all of you back home. In Kandahar, I'm Dana Kaye, News Channel 5.
18: Itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward. Oh, there's
7: 256.
18: We have 4,763. are 50,000 on the missing people persons Our military at home and around the world is on high alert status. I got two words I want to say to you: air assault. Go. go! The best of the best. The hardest trained. When we send our sons and daughters into this kind of war, there'll be great
13: casualties.
18: Let's go! Every one of you is dedicated to something greater than yourself. You put your country ahead of your comfort. Once again, you have a rendezvous with destiny.
17: The 101st Airborne's rendezvous with destiny was all but assured by the attacks on America September 11th. The soldiers knew it was only a matter of time. They trained harder, wrote out their wills, and waited for the call. On January 19, 2002, the Screaming Eagles of Fort Campbell got the call to fight in the war on terrorism. This is their story.
3: Our president says that we're going to restore freedom to America's children.
17: The Screaming Eagles of Fort Campbell are going to war.
8: When I first heard, I was really scared and went on and told my wife and she got scared, started crying.
3: But, oh well, go do my job. Bring yourself and your battle buddy home. That's an order. You can't trust anybody else, you got to trust him because you'll save your life or you'll save his. You make a great contribution to our country by this mission which you're about to accomplish by restoring freedom to this nation.
15: Yep, I'm ready.
3: I've been ready for
18: a long time. We know you're going to do a great job we got utmost confidence in you. We're proud
10: of what you're going to go do.
17: Soldiers got their last pep talk at Fort Campbell Airfield before they boarded the plane for the long flight to Kandahar, Afghanistan. Airsoft.
18: Oh, Move around. I wish you all good luck. Lower tip Manhattan, you see the bright white lights? That is about mid
17: Mid-flight, a moment none of these soldiers will ever forget. Their last view of the United States of America, the pilot flew low over New York City and circled around Ground Zero.
7: Looks like as good a view as we could get, folks. Uh, hope it means as much to you as uh, it certainly does to us, too.
4: A big hole in the ground. I mean, from, from as high up as we are, we can see a huge hole in the ground.
18: Just unbelievable. it makes make me want to go over and do my job a lot more, like uh,
17: find the Alcanist
18: flying time down range, it'll
17: probably be about a seven-hour Our ETA is gonna be at about six seats. Aboard the C-17, soldiers lock and load their weapons. Because of the threat of enemy snipers, we will land at Camp Kandahar hot.
2: Standard weapon is the M4.
18: This is the 240 Bravo.
5: This is the SAW. It's an acronym for Squad Automatic Weapon. It can lay down a lot of a lot of rounds really fast. We're coming in with some heat, that's for sure.
17: Because of the danger, ours is the first daytime landing at the U.S. Air Base here.
3: you guys, be safe.
17: And what greets us is a bombed-out airport and conditions so primitive, the camp commander welcomes us with this warning.
13: There are no facilities. There's no running water. There's no power, per se. There's no sewage. There is no cover. So everything that we have here, we are building, and we are helping to build an infrastructure here at the same time.
17: But first, the soldiers have to set up security around the perimeter of Camp Kandahar. It took the soldiers just about three days to build this foxhole, because they had to dig the hole, fill the sandbags, and cover it for camouflage and protection, because the soldiers have to stand guard here 24 hours a day.
12: Well, it's the first and last line of defense. I mean, this is what is protecting the, uh, the airfield in, in uh, Kandahar.
17: Military intelligence says there are still hundreds of Taliban and al-Qaeda terrorists hiding out in the rough terrain near the base.
18: Our purpose is to make sure they stay out there
12: and not get in here. And if they, we keep them out there and detect them, we report it and send those appropriate units out there in order to pick them up. Good?
3: Yeah. we ready? Okay. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen.
17: As journalists, our job is to report what it's like for soldiers in this faraway place.
3: Today you'll notice three more CH-47 Chinook helicopters on the ground.
17: There are daily briefings.
3: I cannot get into any uh, exact figures.
17: But reporters who have been here a while say they're not very informative.
3: It's like any military operation, I guess. Some of the
14: things that we would like to know the most, uh, they can't tell us. Or even if we do know, we can't tell anybody else. Um... And that's an example of just what happens here on a day.
12: Exhausted, running on the adrenaline that comes from having been where death was an instant away and missed. Pop, whiz, bang, what the heck was that?
10: <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. It, it's almost like on TV, you know, slap in the face, welcome to
8: combat.
12: After a week in the icy Afghan mountains hunting and killing al-Qaeda, soldiers of the 10th mountain and the 101st airborne were safe again. Like fishermen with tales of the one that got away, they had tales of the one that almost got them. Private Roger Pagawagas really was a monster. He was watching an American F-18 on a bombing run. And boom, just
18: some 2,000-pound missile landed like 15 feet away from me. So I was kind of scared at the moment, I said, oh man, it's going to blow, this is it. But then when I realized it didn't, I said, I'm all right, I'm all right, guys. I'm still here. i got eight lives left, you know. <laughs> the bomb would
12: also have killed these young soldiers and more than a dozen others. Why'd That it gave Sergeant Stephen Sills something to think need. about. Uh, it definitely put a whole new light on my life, that's for sure. I, it could have ended right there, but here I sit. So. Words really can't describe on how I felt that day. Some do try to put it in words. A diary, maybe a letter home. And the line for the few phones at Bagram Air Base is always long. But can a phone call or a letter really explain what it was like? Sergeant Rory Corneliusen doesn't think so. Basically, I think you have to be here to know, because saying one thing and experiences are two different things. For many of the Americans, it was the first time they had seen combat. Facing an enemy who seemed not to fear death, but indeed to welcome it, was for many soldiers as weird and vivid an experience as their own cheating of death was. Sergeant Anthony Koch saw death in a new light when he called in an airstrike on six enemy soldiers. And the jets bombed, hit three of them initially, and the other
4: three guys went back up, tried to drag the three away. Bomb hit again, killed two of them. I finally was the last
12: guy, and he crawled back up the hill, stood up, went to a praying position, and then the bomb hit him, and he was dead. It's not a nice feeling to do that, the soldiers will tell you, even when you think it's for a just cause. But like luck or divine intervention, it's something you have to experience to understand. For Sunday morning, this is Alan Pizzi in Afghanistan.
0: And that means a lot to soldiers like Sergeant First Class Anthony Koch of Woodlawn, Tennessee.
4: Well, when you see the chaplain, it gives you a little bit of peace. Um, being that I am a married man, uh, I'm very lonely, and I miss my family because I've been gone for a year uh, prior to this. Um, the
10: chaplain kind of gives you just a little bit of comfort. <laughs>
6: of Fort Campbell soldiers who are still in Afghanistan fighting the war on terrorism. Sergeant Anthony Koch is with the 187 Rakhasans in Afghanistan. Since he left in January, he and his soldiers have fought al-Qaeda terrorists in Operation Anaconda. Back home in Clarksville, Gigi Koch and her two children save every picture and letter he sends home and wait and worry about when he'll finally be home again. But they have confidence that he will be coming home safely.
0: Been, he's been training for 17 years for this, so I have confidence in everything everything that he does over there. He
6: he knows what he's doing. Sergeant Koch received the Bronze Star for his role in Operation
17: Anaconda. Coming up tonight...
16: are their families holding up today?
17: Well, like real troopers, Steve, but Memorial Day does have a special meaning for them. Today I visited with Gigi Koch and her two children, 14-year-old Brittany and 12-year-old Zachary. Their father, Sergeant Anthony Koch, has been in Afghanistan for almost six months. His company fought in Operation Anaconda. They were under fire and in the middle of intense combat for six days in the mountains of eastern Afghanistan. Some of his soldiers were injured, but they all made it out alive. Sergeant Koch was awarded the Bronze Star and Medal of Honor for his bravery in battle. He said that um, in um Al-Qaeda...
0: Soldier was running after him, and he said that he had to make the decision of whether it was going to be him or the Al-Qaeda. And um, he said
17: that he knew at that minute um, what he had been training for for the last 17 years. Now, the family hasn't heard from Sergeant Koch since Mother's Day. They say he's missed his son's baseball games and his daughter's graduation since he's been gone, but they hope he'll be home sometime next month, Steve.
16: Yeah, a lot of families thinking about those overseas today. Thanks for
6: Their soldiers
17: will soon return home
6: safely. Sergeant Anthony Koch is a member of the 187 Rakhassans. News Channel 5's Dana Kay met him on her assignment to Afghanistan. Today she talked to his family, who is eagerly awaiting the day when they can welcome home their war hero. This picture right
0: here was the first day um, of Anaconda.
17: Gigi Koch knows why Memorial Day is important. Her husband, Sergeant Anthony Koch, is in Afghanistan fighting the war on terrorism.
4: I'd like to say hello to my family in Woodlawn, Tennessee, to my beautiful...
17: Sergeant Koch was one of the Fort Campbell soldiers we traveled to Afghanistan with in January.
4: My daughter gave me this, and she says, whenever you're
3: away, you can always point it home.
17: He showed us the good luck charms he carries with him from his family. Back home, 14-year-old Brittany and 12-year-old Zachary miss their dad. I always wake up thinking, you know, is he okay?
0: And when I will I get his next letter and it's kind of scary because one day you could wake up and not even know that he's gone until you know
17: someone comes to your house in the middle of the night.
7: Take it off the hook. The
17: Cokes wait for any word by phone or mail. Had no clue that
0: when we landed we did it next to seven hundred bad guys. We got lucky. Fight is moving south. Hope you are not too
17: worried. Sergeant Koch's company was one of the first to come into close contact with al-Qaeda terrorists during Operation Anaconda.
0: jumped off the bird and it was cold. Um, First thing I saw was a mule running and I felt the altitude 8,500 feet.
17: His letters home about the mission tell how he and his soldiers survived six days of intense combat.
0: Something about, I am thinking I will die. Wish I could tell you I am okay. I prayed prayed
17: every day that you will not worry or be scared i hope you don't see the news reports they treasure his bronze star and medal for valor but all this family really cares about is having dad back home as soon as possible what do you hope to hear next
0: that he's coming home (laughs) Yep. that he's coming home it would be nice
17: Sergeant Koch was one of the soldiers we met in Afghanistan who was always trying to keep up the spirits of his fellow soldiers. Gigi says he's the life of the party at home, too, so things have been kind of boring since he's been gone. Gigi and other Fort Campbell wives are planning a big welcome home party, they hope, for sometime next month.
6: Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic
7: podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.